The Examine Life podcast, discussing society, culture, philosophy to entertain ourselves and perhaps others. The Examine Life podcast, thanks for being here. So today we're going to talk about to believe in God or not to believe in God. How do we adopt different philosophies that shape our reality? Do you believe in God or do you not? Okay, it doesn't really matter, but how does one's ideology shape the way that we deal with life? And that's really what I think the big question is of this podcast. But for me, you know, you're here in this podcast, John, I want to ask you basically how you frame your reality and your beliefs. So if you don't mind, I want to ask you lots of questions and then I'm willing to share, but maybe this way would be a way for us to use you as a, as a platform or a sounding board to, to figure out um, how ideologies shape and structure our, our reality. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Sounds good. Okay, cool. Well, tell me this, like it was really interesting to meet you when I met you in Colombia uh, about six or seven years ago. And you mentioned that you believe in God, but what was really interesting to me is that you didn't always believe in God. And what I want to know, like, how did the transition from not believing to believing happen? Was, was there any particular moments? Was there um, a perusal through like spiritual uh, experiences or scripture? How did that happen? Let's start with that. Okay, thanks for the good question. Yeah, man, like, uh, so, you know, it's interesting. I, I, I did like have this, uh, so I grew up from a family, right? And, and, and they were both, my mom and my dad were both Catholic, okay? So, and then obviously um, they come from a Catholic family. So a lot of my uncles and aunts are also uh, Catholic. Um, but I myself, you know, both my parents left the church before I can remember. Like, I don't remember ever going to a church service with my parents. In fact, I, I don't think I ever did. Uh, maybe as a baby I did, but I don't remember any of it. So my mother went on her own route and she found this uh, thing called Ekinkar, which is a, like a spiritual based uh, belief system, you know, a lot of chanting, chanting, meditation, um, and stuff like this. And then my dad went off into Baha'i and Baha'i is a really interesting religion, actually. They, it's this religion that, uh, I don't wanna use the wrong words, but I guess their philosophy is that they take the best from all religions. Um, they take what, but you know, it's kind of like cherry picking, right? You take the best, I mean, whose interpretation, who chooses what's the best? Um, but anyway, so they take the best from Islam, Judaism, Christianity, Buddhism, and they just kind of synthesize it all. And I do remember going to a couple events uh, with my dad in, in Baha'i. And I, do, I did go to a couple events with my mom to Ekinkar. And I can tell you that the people were nice everywhere I went. You know, there were people. So there's the good. And I didn't see any of the bad, but I'm sure there is always bad people, you know. But what I do remember is that these people were happy, right? They, they had a community and they were happy. So back to me. So as life went on, you know, I had a kind of a tough upbringing, um, single mom, uh, sister that was older sister that was bigger than me for, well, at least the first half of my life living with her, uh, the first 10 years. Uh, and she, I don't want to use the word abusive because it's not like that word can mean so many different things. Right. And it can be mean really bad things, but it, it wasn't like strange abuses like sexual no no nothing like that or and it wasn't like cutting no it wasn't cutting it wasn't beating me up regularly it wasn't like that it was just more like 
anger towards me, just dislike, um, discontent for who I was, uh, a lot of psychological abuse, like uh, speaking and stuff like that. So I grew up in a house and my mom had to work. So I'm alone a lot of my time, right? Um, when I'm not out with friends and we moved a lot as a kid. So I didn't have those strong networks of friends. I was constantly moving to new parts of the town, having to meet new people. Um, but fast forward, you know, like a lot of these people, especially in my, uh, my, when I finally settled down, like middle school things started to actually, uh, come like uh, stabilize, stabilize. And I started to make the friends that I still have to this day, the long, you know, the long life friends. And a lot of them, you know, there was a lot of Christians um, and there was like one or two Muslims and then, you know, quite a few Mormons, but nobody talks about that stuff, you know, because this is America, mainstream America. So it's not a big part of her life, but one of my best friends ever, Mark Landvik, who's a was a professional snowboarder, a very, very good professional snowboarder, a very successful guy. Um, he lived three houses down from me and I'd go to his house all the time. So we grew up in a single family, right? And I didn't have a lot of food. We didn't have a, you know, and everybody else did. Like um, my mom was probably on the lower end of the totem pole, you know, because she was single. She was a Spanish speaker first in an English speaking community. Uh, so she wasn't super successful, but she did stick with her job. So we did have a house, we did have um, electricity, all that stuff. But I would go to my friend's house to eat and they would always pray, right? And I, I was just like, I wouldn't roll my eyes. I respect that, you know, I respect people's traditions and their cultures, you know? So I'd just close my eyes. I couldn't repeat the prayer still, you know? But it just stuck out to me because his parents were really good people, hardworking, um, very respected in the community. Um, they'd go to church every Sunday. I probably went twice with them in my whole life. So you can see, I never really went to church regularly. Okay, so then I started like getting older, right? And, you know, I would say that like, I kind of believed in, in a, a, a God or a power that exists outside of humanity. Because in my loneliness, you know, growing up, I obviously had a lot of time to reflect, right? Like, you spend a lot of time alone, and you kind of like, hope there's a God, um, you know, or a you know, some people say Jesus is a secret friend for adults, you know, kids always have secret friends, right, when they're younger, someone that they pretend exists, um, and it's their friend, you know, you hear about this all the time, and a lot of people say Jesus is a secret friend for adults, and so, like, in a way, I wanted that secret friend, I, wa I wanted some stability, someone that was always there, but as life kept going and kept going, um, you can interrupt me if I'm going too far, but, um, uh, as life kept going, things got harder. I started to drink a lot and I started very young. Um, I think I was drunk for the first time at 14 or something. Um, and then drinking quite regularly, like at 16, I even moved out of my mom's house at 16 years old. I started paying rent. I dropped out of high school. I got a full-time job. And, you know, as life happens, when you don't have this kind of foundation, it's all about you. You know, it's all about me. Nobody cares. Nobody loves me. My mom, this, my sister, that my dad's gone. I mean, he lives in this community, but I don't see him. I don't know why. So I got to take care of myself. And then I didn't have money. So I had to go get a job. And then you have these bosses that don't really respect you. And so through all this, I just kind of started saying, fuck everybody. You know, it's just about me. I got to work. I got to take care of myself. That's the only way I can get through this life. 
And so that's the route I went. And I turned to like, you know, a lot of weed and a lot of alcohol from an early age. I was living alone. I could do whatever I wanted, right? I didn't have a parent um, to tell me not to do these things. Uh, so I just did it whenever I find a buyer, you know, and I was, I was pretty, a pretty strong kid. I, I feel like I was forced to grow up a lot faster. So because of that, I had friends that were older uh, and my brother is five years older than me. He's not my real brother, by the way. So I said, I have one sister. I have one sister. That's it. My mom temporarily married uh, or got together with another Puerto Rican fella, um, New Yorican is what we call him because he's from New York, but Puerto Rican. And he had three kids. And so those kids to this day, I consider kind of my family, um, but they're more of friends than family because we, we only lived with them for about two years. Anyways, the oldest of those were was like, 21 when I was 16. So I could just get him to buy me beers and I would go with him and all of his friends. I was like 16 year old working full time, hanging out with 21 year olds. Um, yeah, doing whatever they were doing, which was drinking a lot and smoking weed. And you know, in that, the, the loneliness kind of builds. I mean, I had a lot of friends, I had a lot of, you know, and then I found out that my mother was a lesbian um, pretty early on. And that shook me because I just I guess it was just such a secret for so long. I had no idea. And then I was told about it. I was like, what? And I like it, dude, I remember her telling me and just the way my heart sunk. And I don't know why I have nothing against uh, homosexuality or gay, whatever. I don't have any judgment towards them, but it's the, it's the fact that you, you almost feel like your mother was lying to you. You know what I mean? you almost feel like you're being lied to all these years. Like, why didn't you just tell me sooner? But I can understand. I respect that now. And I understand that that's a really hard thing, especially in a smaller community, especially because she might not be Catholic, but she comes from a family that's Catholic. And she believed that that was wrong. She was taught that that was wrong, that that was against God to be gay. So of course, she's going to keep it a secret. But you can only bear that burden for so long. So all these things just kind of isolated me, made me feel different than everybody, made me feel alone. Um, and like I said, man, I just, alcohol, uh, money, um, girls, a lot of girls uh, helped me forget about these things. So, you know, I always kind of believed that there was something and that I think part of that's because of my loneliness, you know, but also because I saw it around me. I saw the good deeds of family, like my friends, their parents. I mean, the, the Mark's parents, Mark Lambic's parents, uh, they every Saturday, they would go to the soup kitchen and they'd do community service. They would serve the poor in my community every single Saturday. And then they'd go to church on Sunday. And so there was something, you know, coming from a poor family, you see people doing that to help other poor people. And it really touches your heart, man. There's nothing you can, you can't deny that. Like these people have money, they have jobs, they have two kids, they're very busy. Uh, yet they always found time to give to the community and then go worship. So I wasn't doing these things, but these things stuck with me, right? And then um, it continued on, you know, um, I went to alternative school. I kind of got sick of working. I went to alternative school. And then there was this Russian Orthodox priest. I forget his name right now. And I feel really bad that I forget his name. Um, but um, 
he was a uh, he did a lot of like speeches like motivational speeches and uh, guidance for youth in our community and he was just the nice one of the nicest men i've ever met in my entire life and he looked funny right because he <laughs> he he was russian orthodox so he had that like i don't know what shape it is it almost looks like hexagonal shaped floppy hat and his robe and his huge crucifix but he was the nicest guy he helped convicts he just gave and he gave a speech one day uh, about growing up and becoming an adult and the responsibilities. Anyways, he blew my lid off. So there's these people that uh, keep appearing in my life that are inspiring me. Mark's parents, the Russian Orthodox priest. Um, and then I started reading a lot. And a lot of these great authors, motivational people, like, uh, you know, we're, we're also people of faith, you know, Martin Luther King, Malcolm X, Gandhi, um, there were people, you know, the Buddha, and then you start hearing about these religions, you know, growing up, and I know about Christianity, but you start seeing there's more, and they're all built on the backs of these, these people that were selfless and kind and loving, and at the same time, rebellious, right, but in a nonviolent way. So I just inspired, moved. But I kept drinking into my 20s uh, and I was starting to denounce God because I was unhappy inside, you know, and I started traveling, running from myself, as they say, around the country, getting new jobs. I lived all over the United States. And it was like, I didn't really realize it, but I was running from my truth and my own reality. And it was fun because you just drink and you meet new girls. Hey, 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 <laughs> you know, and you meet new friends and you feel like you're educated and worldly. Like, you know, I'd go to, I lived in Florida, I lived in Colorado, I lived in um, Oregon and Washington, and I traveled to 47 states. So I felt like in my turmoil, I felt like I was growing, like I was doing things that nobody else was doing. Again, this is the theme, right? Like where I feel alone and like no one else. And then I'm reading books like On the Road by Jock Kerouac, and I'm feeling like I'm living these dreams. And so this became my passion, right? But I was still empty inside, man, still empty inside big time. And I remember cursing God saying, you don't exist, You're, you know, and I curse, like, I mean, curse, like hate speech to God, you know, and, uh, but what I started to realize in my lower 20s, I started going to community college was that even though I didn't believe that I detested God, I was still obsessed with him, <laughs> you know, still like fighting against him because it's his fault that my life is like this it's his fault that i drank too much it's his fault that my mother's a lesbian it's his fault that i grew up without my father where was god then right so this was my mentality and it just created anger man it created anger which you know i consider myself a pretty nice guy overall um but i can do i have been known to say and do mean things and this is lashing out because i didn't like myself so in my later 20s or middle 20s, I started to say, well, you know what? I can't shake this guy. Can't get him off my back. You know, no matter how much I don't believe, why am I talking to him? Why am I cursing him? He's still there. And so to me, I felt like I couldn't separate myself from God. It was whether it didn't matter if I believed or if I was fighting against. I just kept going to God, couldn't shake him. And, uh, you know, then I, you know, and then I started educating myself. I went to community college, just kept partying, kept studying, kept learning, kept feeling like this was my mission. 
Um, and then I went off to community college and, you know, there's a lot of weird, interesting miracles in my life, right? Like, and I shouldn't call them miracles. It was just hard work on my end, but it's still miraculous the way these things uh, unfold. So I was, you know, probably drinking too much and I was short of my associate of arts degree. I should have finished because I'm a high school dropout. Like I said, I got a GED and I always wanted to get educated. So I went to community college and, uh, I had to go that route, but I, I drank too much, you know, and I um, it failed classes when I shouldn't. Um, and I was on cue, I was ready to graduate. But again, I had like one or two hiccups that last two quarters or terms. And I was shy. I was uh, one, just one course shy of an associate of arts degree, but it was time. And I was trying to go to Western Washington University, which my best friend, Mark Lanovic, that's where he lived, because uh, he based his snowboarding out of there. And there's a great school there, Western Washington University, up on a hill, you know, the Sea Home Arboretum, beautiful hill overlooking Bellingham Bay. Fantastic place to live, rainforesty, a lot like the place I grew up. Excellent ski resort, Mount Baker, just in case some of you know. Uh, Mount Baker, one of the best in the whole world, really. Um, and it's close to Seattle, and then even closer to Vancouver, British Columbia. So this, this city is just an awesome place. So I had my eyes set on this one university, nowhere else. I applied and told them my situation. They said, no, we don't accept people that uh, don't that don't have, a, you're a high school dropout, you don't have an associate of arts degree, you have to have an associate of arts degree. We like your grades, but you don't have, you haven't completed it. So try next year. And then I got like, man, this shook my world because what was I gonna do, right? Do one class and have to spend a whole year. I was living in a place that I really didn't like all that much. So I had to get out of there, dude. And honestly, like I had this like belief, like I think I watched a movie, man. <laughs> it was a movie about, uh, well, you know, about a Christian guy. And uh, what the moral of the story is, is that you have to create your own realities and you have to trust in God and believe. And if you believe that you can do something, then you can, especially with the help of God. So I prayed to God that night and I'm not, remember, I'm not religious. I, I mean, the day before I was probably telling him how ridiculous he was, how much of a, you know, just a evil monster he was. <laughs> for all the things he's done to me and everybody else in the world. If you look at history and this and that, it's easy to blame God. But I prayed and then I packed up my car and I drove five hours, 322 miles to Bellingham from southeastern Washington. I was in Pasco and I drove up I-90, um, I-5, I-192, I forget. Um, but, you know, I've already read on the road, so I love driving. So I just drove up there, but I had no, I didn't have a lot of money. Remember, I'm, I'm a student, but I drove up there and I went and knocked on the university's door and they were like, oh, you drove a long way. We already said that you can't get here. I was like, I know, but please give me a chance. Let me explain to you. And she said, okay, well, we have to do this the formal way. Can you write a letter? I was like, well, I don't have, I'm just here, you know? And she's like, well, you can use one of the typewriters, but you have to come tomorrow. And I was like, Ugh. and I wasn't planning on staying there. I didn't have a lot of money. So I slept in my car uh, right on the Bay of Bellingham. And uh, next morning I got up, went, wrote the thing. Remember, I, this, like, I don't pray much, but I prayed right before this. And then I prayed that night saying, I cannot believe I'm sleeping in my car. This is crazy, dude. Hold on one second. 
That's my son's crying. I just got to make sure it's. Okay, it's a frustration cry. It's not a pain cry. Okay, anyways. Uh, so, um, yeah, so I woke up and I went in and I had to sit in this room and like the lady's like, if you, you know, I want to give you a chance, but if you don't get it, please don't be upset that we've never accepted anyone without associate of arts degree. And I was like, uh, well, except for, of course, high schoolers that just nailed it. You know, there are, but in my situation, GED, a, a failure that got a GED that now was attempting community college, but did not complete it. I sat in there and wrote the most brilliant letter I could come up with. You know, it probably wasn't that brilliant, but uh, I just explained how, you know, what I wanted and my goals in life and how I promised I would fulfill, I would outdo their expectations. Then she told me that she had to pass it on to somebody after I sat there for four hours, you know, haven't showered, haven't showered, dude. <laughs> uh, did the letter on a typewriter, not a computer and uh, gave it to her. And she's like, all right, well, uh, I'm going to pass this along. And then can you, uh, she actually, I think she made me wait. She talked to someone and they were like, okay, we'll read the letter and call them in the morning. And I told her, you know, I'm, I'm here. I don't really have a place to stay. I lied. I lied. I said, I'm staying in a hotel. Can't really afford it right now, but uh, yeah, I could stay one more day. Slept in my car again. The next morning I got a call like at 9 a.m. And they said, okay, we want to interview you. And I was like, holy shit. So I had to go to the YMCA, take a shower, you know, try to get clean, went in for my interview and nailed it. You know, and remember, I'm praying because the reason why I'm praying at this time is because I'm about to lose everything. Like, I don't have any more scholarships for community college. I only had a part-time job. Uh, so I would, if, if I stayed, maybe I would have never left. And I knew this. I knew that if I stayed and had to work full-time for a year, how easy is it when you take a year break to go back to college? Well, statistically, it's pretty hard. So I fought for this. I got in, you know, I, I left and I started driving home. And uh, before I even got home, I was on the road drinking beer on the road home, literally on freeways, open roads, country roads, just swilling. And I got a call and they said, we'd like to congratulate you. And those words, you know, I was fucking shocked. So I started turning to this kind of belief, but trust me, I've been cursing God even probably just a few months ago. I had a moment where I kind of rebelled, but that's okay. So that's a really long story about how I was kind of like how I found my way to God. And I'm 42 right now. So like, I'm still not fully connected, but I do believe I do want to be the best I can. And, and, um, you know, um, slowly, eventually I started going to church. So it was like a cultural thing. Like I love culture and, uh, my minors in anthropology, cultural anthropology. And when you learn that you learn about religions, obviously you can't escape that. So I went to tons of different churches to find my fit. And there was just so many different churches from Pentecostal Baptist, um, Orthodox, um, Protestant, uh, Calvinist, all sorts of different churches. And none of them, I, I didn't like the way people wanted me to believe the way they believed. I hated that when they were like, have you found Jesus Christ? Oh, you're in great danger if you have not found Jesus Christ. And I just didn't like that no matter what, no matter how much I started to want God, I didn't want you or anyone else to tell me how God is because my God is my God. It's your God, like God is God, it's, he's everyone's. But I'm saying my perception is the way I'm gonna go with this. 
And the only place that I kept running into that would allow me to just be me, nobody was trying to corner me, trying to convert me was in a Catholic church in a, you know, in a Roman Catholic church. They don't ask you, are you a believer? You know, they don't, they just, there's only one time where they, everybody shakes hands or hugs, you know, at the, in mass. And that's just like to be respectful to your neighbor, show them that you're, you know, personable, you shake hands. That's it. Everybody gets out. Everybody comes in, sits down with their family, gets out. Nobody's looking at you. And I felt like I was being watched at every other church uh, denomination I went to. So I found that alcoholism continued, uh, you know, never really has stopped. <laughs> uh, well, you know, anyway, that's a different story. We can talk about that sometime. But uh, yeah, you know, I've just gotten closer and closer. And in my degree, I got a scriptural, I took a scriptural literature class. And this is where I began reading scripture. So I read some Buddhist stuff. Of course, it's Western based, right? We come from the United States. So it's going to be Judeo-Christian heavy. And then with some, some dabbling in Islam, um, Buddhism, Taoism, and I really realized that I love this type of writing. It's so hard and crunchy, but it's so, I don't know, man. It, there's just something about it. I started to see connections to the rest of the world. Like in the, we only read Genesis, but um, so this is the Torah, right? The first five books of the Bible are the Torah. It's the Judeo, it's the Torah. It's the, the light of the Jewish faith. It's the laws. It's the calling from God. And then the laws, a ton of laws, right? Um, and it's, they're called the books of Moses. So I only read Genesis. But when I felt that, I felt like I had been robbed, like sort of. Like I was like, oh, God, now I got to read all these. I got to read all the other four. I don't know what's going on, right, if I only get Genesis. And then we had to read all four of the Gospels. So it was probably heavier Christian than Jewish, but it was definitely Judeo-Christian, right, because it starts with Genesis. Uh, and then we read the Gospels. And I read the Gospels, and I didn't really understand them. I still don't fully understand them. But it was just beautiful, man, this, this hero, right, that comes to save the world and to fight, combat corruption, right, combat evil of, like, controlling God's word. Like, that's not cool. Like, nobody can control this. It's not just for these people. This is for everybody. So I thought that was an awesome story. Okay, since then, I've read, uh, the, I've read the Torah, well, twice reading. I've listened to it twice on a podcast um i have the book of leviticus open right here to my left uh, number 26 uh because it's a pretty cool chapter anyways that's my life dude and so now i don't go to church man i don't go to church and i wish sometimes i did but i don't but i do believe in god and i do believe that faith helps so that was a huge story uh i'm sorry about that i'm ready for the next question <laughs> or or you know i don't know i would no, like was yeah, no, that was a great story and a very powerful story, um, which has, you know, opened up like a thousand more questions. But I want to go back to the beginning because I, I feel like where were you at when those, you know, tumultuous, rebellious times of being a teenager, dealing with uh, a little bit of pain there and trauma, like you said, a bit of poverty, you know, during that time, did you believe, like in your heart of hearts, did you believe in God? And if so, where did that originally come from? That's a great question. I'll try to make this as short as possible. But um, like I said, my mom and my dad, they, they left their faith, but they, they kind of still believed right in God. And a lot of my friends around me, 
that are still my friends this day also believed in God. It's just, it's just something, you know, I think that a lot of people believe in God, you know? Um, but I'll tell you this, this is a great story that I left out. So when I was 15, I went to my last, it's called Echo Ranch Bible Camp. It's the only summer camp in all of Southeast Alaska. So everybody went there. It doesn't matter if you're atheist, agnostic, it didn't matter. We all went there. It's the awesome summer camp, dude, with archery, shooting guns, canoeing, zip lining, sleeping in cabins with your homies, you know? It was super duper fun, man, but it was a Bible camp. And so we always had to go to church, you know, like to sing songs, but it wasn't like preaching. It wasn't like, you believe this, it wasn't brainwashing. You just go and the person at the front of the, the chapel or whatever um, would just say, hey, blah, 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 you know, thank God for providing us this great space to do a camp and keep keeping everybody safe and blah, blah, blah. Okay, let's sing songs. And then we sang Jesus songs for like an hour and then we'd be released, <laughs> released, it sounds like a prison sentence, and we'd go eat or we'd run around, then we'd go back, sing for another hour, and then we'd go have our games, right? Where you spend a few hours, like electives, you choose what you wanna do. Then we'd eat, then there'd be one more. So it was like, like three hours a day, you went in and sang and you played games, a lot of games. I didn't feel like it was brainwashing at all. In my first four years, I never sang once, ever. I was like, I, cause I just, I detested God because of the life he had given me, so to speak. Obviously, it's just my life, but I need to blame someone. Scapegoat. Scapegoat and God. I like that, dude. That's a, got a ring to it. Scapegoat and God. Uh, but, you know, I remember, like, one point, like, this girl I liked, she really, some of these people at this camp were believers. So they really sang, and they always had so much fun. And I was miserable trying to be the cool kid that didn't believe. And one day she's just like, come on, sing. It feels good. And, you know, obviously singing does feel good because it's con controlled breathing. So it can be euphoric in many ways. I started singing. And then um, this, this priest guy, uh, he was our, he was a priest, but he was the, what do you call it? The guy in the, in our cabin. For, I can't think of the word right now, but like a chaperone. leader. Yeah, like a leader. Yeah, he was the, the cabin leader, you know, and he said, hey, John, I see something in you. I really wanted to give you, no, no, he, he took me for a walk and asked me what I believed and all this. And I was like, well, I don't really believe. And he was like, okay, that's fine. You know, blah, 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 blah. He's like, but you know, no one should be alone. And that's what he said to me. And he's like, I really would like you to try to read the Bible. And I was like, I don't have a Bible. And the next day he brought me a brand new Bible and said, here, this is for you. And I was like, I don't have any money. He says, no, 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 it's not about money. I just want you to read it. Um, I never read that Bible. I read, I asked him, what, sh where should I start? And he said, Proverbs or Psalms. So I started to read Psalms and then never, you know, I probably read like two, three pages. And that was all I used that Bible for. And I probably gave it, I think I donated that Bible somewhere. Anyways, I remember coming back from that camp and feeling invincible. I had quit smoking cigarettes. I'd smoked. So I didn't smoke anymore. Um, I didn't want to drink. And remember, I started really early, right? So I, I, I felt all of a sudden empowered. My skateboarding got better. And it was all because I believed that I had found someone that was going to take care of me, that would be my rock, and that I didn't have to worry about the other people anymore. I just had to worry about one, and that's the one up there. And uh, I, I just remember being super confident. So I think that's where it really began, was when I was, I think it was 15, I guess. 
because you can only go to that camp. Maybe it was 16, 15 or 16. I feel like it was 16, but no, it was 15 because I dropped out of high school that year. Uh, <clears throat> so that was it, man. And I just remember this force, this energy within me. And I got, dude, I was really like, you know, I started doing really good in all parts of my life. And then I fell off, right? I mean, within like a month, I was back to the same routine. But I'll never forget that invincibility that I felt, that confident, that self-love, and that love for the world around me. And it only lasted about a month, then I went right back to drinking and smoking. So that's when it started, I think. About 15 was the first voice, you know, the first calling, I guess. Yeah, that's super interesting. But it sounds like to me that like you did have this inherent kind of drive or connection and it just you were rebelling against it, right? And it was like rebelling against a part of yourself for a long time. Yeah, which I is, would say so. Yeah, super interesting. So in the type of God that you believe in, do you believe that God can kind of help make your life? Does, does God intervene with your life or does God is, does, can you describe the type of, God or connection that um, if you do believe in God, how can your life, you know, what, what is the connection there and how does it work? I guess. Well, yeah, you know, like I don't like, I wouldn't say I'm a deist, right? Cause deists believe that there is a God, but that the God, that God is removed from um, well, the world and man. And he created us, but he stepped aside. And when I say a he, ladies, it's the all-inclusive he includes girls and everything. It's just easier to say he slash she, right? So I'm just going to say he, so excuse me for that. But know that God isn't gender-based, please, just for the sake of ease. Um, yeah, so I, I wouldn't say I'm that, okay? Because I do believe that God intervenes at times, but it's not like the kind of intervening that I was asking for, right? I was asking for God to come swoop in on a white stallion and bring my dad and my mom back together, straighten the ways of my mother's sexuality, bring money, bring a chest of gold, God, because my shoes have holes in them. You know, this is the type of God I wanted. And that I don't believe in that. I don't believe in like, you know that but what i do believe is that we have everything here to guide us it's been given to us through prophets right through the prophets through moses like uh i'm you know i i respect all prophets and you know my wife's a buddhist i respect the buddha um big time uh, i respect you know the good of Muhammad, um, I do, but I am, if, if I'm anything, if I'm truly anything, I would be a Christian. So I'm always going to kind of go back to that story um, because that's what religions are. They're stories, right? Um, <clears throat> but look at this, you know, Moses brought us the commandments, brought us the invitation to be a part of God. Now the story goes, right? That he freed the Israelites, right? Or the Hebrews from Egypt. Now, I think there's a lot of metaphor going on here. Personally, I do. I could be wrong, but you know what? This is why I always struggle because I have a very unique perspective of what God is. But this whole, this whole release from bondage, right? And God really calls these people out. And then he sends a savior, right? Um, a savior to help them escape. Now, this bondage in Egypt is self-chosen. Like, 
you know, you keep hearing that, oh, they're slaves, they're mistreated, but no, they were actually very successful in Egypt. The Bible says it right here. Uh, they're highly successful. They just were ruled over by a king that kind of subjugated them, but most of their bondage was self-inflicted, uh, right? Like if you look at today's world, I mean, technology, alcoholism, drugs, games, uh, sports, you know, idol worship with our kids. They love like the, the, the pop culture singers. This is the bondage, dude. Sweets, unhealthy food, disrespecting other people, disrespecting our parents. This is the bondage I, I see. So you have these people that came to help all of us, okay? In the Bible, you might be confused because it says, oh, the Hebrews, but you got to start somewhere. You got to start somewhere. And then you get, you know, people that interpret it. And then people are people, so they get corrupt. And then every once in a while, you get someone. And then, and then we had Jesus Christ who said, this law is not for the Hebrews. It is not theirs to own and to have power. God is between you and God. That's it. There should be no middlemen. And that was super revolutionary, extremely revolutionary. And of course, he died for that. But, uh, but it was never forgotten. And people to this day believe in that message. Um, so I don't, I, I don't believe God's going to come in. If you pray for, to win the lottery, I'm sorry. I don't think that's going to happen. If you lose your leg, a crocodile bites it off in a swamp and you pray to get your leg back. I'm sorry, I don't think you're going to get it back. But if you work hard enough, you can get a prosthetic. <laughs> sorry to joke a little bit. But God helps those who help themselves. And it, it sounds weird. So why believe? Well, because if you follow, you, you can release yourself from bondage, right? From all the temptations around us, all these forces around us that are really governing our, our spirits, our health, our lives. You know, we're working for money. That's all we do. Work for money to pay for crap like TVs and fucking all sorts of shit. Anyways, so I believe that has God given us something to follow? Has he sent a message for everybody to help improve their lives? Yes, I do. Absolutely. It's right. You know, it's everywhere. It used to be in every hotel in America, but they've done away with that. They don't want free people anymore. Yeah, that's super interesting. Um, a friend of mine was talking about, you know, we were talking about life and he was saying that the real, uh, the real meat and honey, to use his words, is the internal journey of life. It's not, it doesn't come from without. It doesn't come from the external. It doesn't come from consumerism. It doesn't come from, doesn't come from getting approval. It comes from within. And I'm just wondering, like, I guess two things, like how, if you believe in God and whatever version you believe in, I guess, how does it empower your life? And what would be the difference between, you know, if you believe in God or if you believed in say, like psychology or biology as a, as a foundational philosophical ideology, you know, because I feel like we all adopt ideologies that help us deal with life. Um, I think that if you believe in God, it's, it's more of a spiritual thing. It's like you said, it's your relationship directly with the energy or the creator of the universe, depending on your point of view. But do you think that you could have just, you know, you could have fallen into or, or adopted the ideology of, of a psychologist or a scientist just as easily? Uh, and if not, like, what's the difference between fear, uh, loving God and having that as an ideology compared to someone that maybe is a psychologist and that's their reality. 
faith. That's the difference. You know, it's that easy. Um, if you want me to elaborate, I will. But, you know, remember, I, I struggled and I cursed God all the way into my 20s. And I still do from time to time. My apologies. Uh, but uh, I still do sometimes. Um, but, um, yeah, I, I studied sociology, social psychology, anthropology. And, yes, I loved the way they thought. And I, and I still use, the, you know, what I've learned. Do I believe in psychology, the benefits of psychology and understand in science? Yes, I do. And if you go back through history, most great scientists were religious. They just don't tell you that. They don't tell you that because they want to separate everybody. Anyways, uh, don't worry about who they are. You know who they are. <laughs> but I'm just saying, like, that's it is faith. Okay. You should have multiple lenses. Uh, any repairman has a toolbox filled with tools and they do different things. Okay. You cannot hammer a nail with a screwdriver or a saw, but you need, you can't cut wood with your hammer. You need a saw. So you need different tools, but the box to carry all of your tools together that's that's the most important thing. That's all of your tools together. So the only difference is, is that there is no faith. There is no explanation for why people suffer. There's no explanation for what happens later when we die. There's no explanation for loss, like tragic loss. And there's no consolation. So there's no true happiness that comes from faith. And so that's all I'm going to say. Uh, you know, basically, no. I don't think I could have been um, chosen. Like, I, I don't think I could have ever really believed that psychology had all the answers. I couldn't believe that sociology would save mankind. No, not even close. Do I believe they're very important? Absolutely. Great disciplines. I respect them big time. Can you find that stuff in the Bible? Absolutely. All of that stuff is in there already. It's already in a book that was written thousands of years ago. But do they put it in a better like format that's easier for everybody to understand in psychology? Yeah, they can, they can make it. You know, some people don't want to believe in God and they should have access to this information as well. So yeah, I believe in psychology. I believe in, you know, science, biology, philosophy, you know, this, this, this argumentation, this way to speak correctly or to extract information, extrapolate information. Yeah, I do. Yeah. But there's no replace. Yeah. There's no replacements for faith. Zero. Yeah. Well, what about the idea that like, like you said, those big ticket items when we're talking about um, love and death and trauma and, you know, birth and understanding the world, you know, I guess there's, there's two philosophies, right? That there is a, a greater power and, and God-like figure than we, there is some kind of meaning within the, uh, well, after that, that we can't see, but could be there that we can feel. And I guess another way of looking at it is that there's, there's nothing there. It's kind of all meaningless and we give it meaning right within our human experience. Um, I don't like, what do you feel like if you adopt the faith in your, in your ideology, if you, if someone said to you, I want to be closer to God, I want to adopt that faith and have that faith. How does that help you deal with the, the traumas of current reality? Um, let me just ask back to be sure I'm clear. Um, <laughs> did, were you asking how um, 
faith or or something can possibly help with traumas yeah and, so like if experiences you, in life yeah like if you believe in god and, and you have that ideology like how does that empower you to deal with some of those really hard things you know and i, I guess that's the, the the crux of the question when we've lost somebody um or something really traumatic has happened in our life there's an emptiness there's a great void that we do not know how to fill. And it really, in some ways, it can't be filled, right? You cannot replace a, a relative that's passed, a parent, um, a loved one, a child. Could you imagine? I don't even want to think about that. But a child, losing a child, how? There's nothing. And yes, people are going to say, oh my God, I'm so sorry. That's so tragic. But only the people that have also lost will truly understand. But the thing about human beings is that our perceptions are so unique. So even if they've been through the same experience, the way they deal with it might not work for you or me, right? Some people might just say, uh, I'll give you an example. Like, well, you know, that's life. We're all going to die. And, you know, we got to move forward. They'd want you to move forward. And that's it. And that's because the person suffered themselves and they just want to say, don't waste your time crying, get back on the horse. But that doesn't work for everybody. So I believe that this, this faith is because it is a story, right? There, that there is someone that's eternal that will never disappear on you, ever. Will always be there in your darkest of hours and loves you, cares for you, has chosen you. So this faith that there is a God that does this always helps people through these hard times, you know? And then you have the prophets that came to fulfill this God and showed us proof that God's there and they fought for us. And you kind of have this family, right? Your ancestry. It's kind of like an ancestry. Uh, if you truly believe, if you have faith, they are your family, they are your people, and they're watching you and they're wishing the best for you. And they've all suffered. They've all suffered greatly, like tremendously, right? Most of them have been killed, right? And tortured, like Jesus Christ, for example. But there's many, many more. Elijah, many of these prophets were persecuted because they wanted to help. So in these faithful stories, there is so much pain and suffering over and again, over and over and over and over again. And they call you to, 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 to never forget these things. Um, and I believe when you have a story that, now this is the, the thing is that these, there's just stories, right? Until you take the leap of faith and you just say, okay, no. Then it becomes a whole new level, right? So it starts as a, a bunch of stories that can give you guidance, absolutely. And can even console you to some extent. But then there's the faith aspect, okay? So follow me in word would be like the stories, right? How do these stories help us get through? But then there's the faith. Remember, uh, those that are faith, like that believe, uh, truly believe that someone loves them and accepts them, no matter how many mistakes they've made, right? This, as long as they still try, but they have to really try. You can't just like, a lot of people say, uh, you know what I don't like about the Catholics is you can just go, uh, the redemption of sins, you know, go confess and you're, you can just go commit the same sin. No, you can't. No, you can't. God says you cannot do that. However, if you're willing 
to really try to recalibrate and start following the laws again, the rules, right, um, that is asked of us, then you can be forgiven. Um, that's why, you know, I have Leviticus open here, 26. It goes through, I'm not going to read it to you because it's pretty long, but it goes through, uh, well, it starts, rewards for obedience. So that's the title of the first, like, uh, five like verses okay and then the next one is penalties for disobedience okay and then the rewards is that if you follow my rules my commandment the fruits of your trees will blossom your fields will yield sevenfold you will be content your stomach will be full and you will be uh invincible to your enemies you will not be warred on you will be protected and you will be happy then he says, if you don't follow these rules, you, well, it's going to sound gnarly, right? This is the Old Testament, and they weren't, you know, they weren't as romantic as the Christ was. But if you don't, your fruit, your trees, I'm just going to make it simple. Your trees won't bear fruit. Your fields won't yield the harvest, and you will be working your field for someone else. Someone else will reap the benefits of your field. And if you continue to disobey, I will strip you of your happiness. I will... Uh, you know, it goes on and on to the end where it says, and your enemies will have uh, ownership over you. Okay. And now, basically, that's what this is about. So if you keep confessing, but you never recorrect, you have to still follow the law, you have to still follow what the prophet said, or else you basically, well, it's, let's remove it from religion. Let's just talk about these rules. So their rules include treating uh, uh, foreigners fairly. You don't charge them more like they do in Thailand. No offense, Thailand. But they don't charge them more. Everybody's under the same law. Everybody is judged equally. So the poor people should not be mistreated by the wealthy. And the poor people should not mistreat the wealthy. And you can sympathize and help the poor, but you cannot let a poor person go just because they're poor. The law has to be the same for everybody. So in the, you know, Leviticus, God just levels the playing field. There's nobody, anybody that has a different set of rules is not faithful. So, so this story is beautiful, right? And it like, it's basically telling us that there needs to be law and order, like in I don't mean like police with guns shooting people. I'm talking about like inside, right? You need to govern your own behaviors within yourself. So, you know, <laughs> the priests try to do this for you. But when Jesus came, he said, no, 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 no. You are your own priest. You read my word and you obey what I say. Now, why would someone be happier, wealthier if they follow the law? Why? Well, because you're not distracted by alcoholism. You're not cheating on your wife because God says you do not do that. Because if you cheat on anyone, right, your wife, what happens? Everybody suffers. Kids, relatives, houses fall apart. This is bad for everybody, the community. So these laws are meant to build utopic societies, right? And so you don't have to believe in God, but you got to follow these rules anyways. We live in a world where man's made all these rules and they're kind of the same, but we allow people to cheat nowadays, right? Oh, it's love. Oh, it wasn't meant to happen. Well, okay, great. Now your kids are fucked for life because you've decided this. Okay, rad. 
you see all these movies, right? All these movies always have cheating all the time. This message is being repeated and repeated and repeated to the point where we kind of feel like it's okay. It's normal, it's part of life. Look at our societies. They're just crumbling around us. Um, and this was what God wanted was, so yeah, so I'm, I'm going on a tangent, but I do believe that these things can make you happier. You know, if nobody cheats and kids have their parents while their parents are alive, everybody's happier. If you don't take advantage of people, people aren't cursing your double-tiered pricing system all around the world, right? When you treat people well, it goes out. The ripple effect, the butterfly effect, it goes out into the world and people know that you are a great people because of your kindness, your equality, um, your, your focus. You're not deterred. You are focused and steadfast. So if you don't go to the bars and watch football games every single Thursday and Friday, your fields will reap more. You will reap more from your fields. Your trees will bear more fruit. Your happiness will be multiplied because success is a form of happiness, right? And choice and distraction and waking up going, God, I shouldn't have done this. I should have been, I should have taken care of my, I should have taken my son to that football game. Now everybody's unhappy. Yeah. So if you follow these, I don't want to say simple, <laughs> but it's pretty simple. It's just right here in this book, one little book. Uh, if you follow these rules, everything will be better. You'll be more successful um, for sure. Your family will be more successful because you're not going to be having these little conflicts that we have in the world. If you hate some of your students because they misbehave, well, you can't teach them because if, if there's that energy, that negative energy, you're going to give up trying to help them. But if you can love all people uh, equally and know that everyone is a part of the same family, even the people you don't like, you're going to try to help if they need your help. That's just the way it is. That's the law. Well, let me tell you how I process that. It, it does sound like when you, when you read it, it sounds a little bit authoritarian. Um, mm -hmm. But when you, like when you look at it, and maybe it's when you look at it from maybe a metaphorical point of view, instead of literal, um, it's, it's a lot about the spiritual, the inner journey. You know, if you, if you nourish the parts of yourself that are good, then you grow and it bears fruit. If you're being vacant and you're, you're not, um, if you're not nourishing those elements and if you're doing things that are harmful, that are away from your own ethical compass, compass, then obviously then it's going to create damage and things that could grow and become beautiful and flourish to use that, you know, like a tree and growth as a metaphor, then how can that bear fruit? Because you're not watering it. You're not, you're not sustaining it. You're not taking care of it. Right. So I think that, you know, I think even as an, as an, if you look at it as like an ethical uh, metaphorical representation that I think it works perfectly to be honest, because if you nurture yourself and the inner truth, uh, then how can you not, but grow? And that's, that's what I feel. But it's interesting. Like, I wonder this connection that we have with God or a spirit or energy. I wonder what, what, what I have always noticed is that there's this, this connection between the individual and something that's greater but at the same time, like you've mentioned, you have this kind of ethical compass that's also entwined. And there, there seems to be this like deep well of wisdom that's encapsulated or connected to it. 
And then it's, it feels like as well that there is an abundance of answers, wisdom, guidance within ourselves that again, is it the, the meat and honey of this internal journey, right? That I don't know if you can get that from psychology. I don't know if you can get that from understanding evolutionary biology. We can understand and, and process how people behave and act on using a different lens. And it, it also seems like that a lot of great spiritual teachers fundamentally teach the same principles because it's something that's innate that we have already. Like, how do you feel about that? If you know the the price, the idea of the wisdom is already within within us. You know, is it our soul or is it guidance? And if we are connected to the source, to use that, the source or God or the energy, and then we connect to ourselves, well, then that kind of explains the feeling invincible, feeling empowered, you know, going on the right track, you know, ignoring, you know, dealing with trauma in a positive way, or as positive as we can, and wanting to to let that inner light shine instead of, you know, going into like pits of complete depression and, and depression and, and real sadness. Right. So, yeah. How do you feel about that? Uh, that we all have like an inner truth and knowledge is that there's something within us that like we're born with it. Yeah. So I'm saying that like religion or God is kind of tapping into what we already have and then that kind of connection is 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 somehow holistically connected to our maybe our true essence or our innate uh, ethical compass that we already have. It's already installed in us, right? And it's it's really it's it's so evident that whenever we do something that's bad, or we feel like it's harmful to ourselves or to others, I know there's like social conditioning, and I know it's part of our social evolutionary conditioning. But still, like at some kind of real visceral level, like on an ethical level, even if you can do something bad and get away with it, uh, it's still at, at, at a profound level feels painful and it feels really wrong, right? So yes. what do you think about that connection? Or is, is that a big part of it, this connection between God and the internal? And, and is that really what we should be looking to, to nurture, that connection between ourselves and the and the greater um yeah and yeah absolutely i believe that we have a lot of um universal connections within all of us it's the energy field that we're all a part of right and that there is there are currents that feel better than others right there's harm harmonious um currents and there's dissonant ones and we can feel it literally um yeah you know and and I do want everybody to know that I also, you know, I still to this day don't consider myself religious. I just, I just love this story. And I do believe in faith big time. Um, but I've always believed even in my, you know, the the God wars, <laughs> my struggles and the, my hate and anger and stuff. I always believed that we should be good and kind. I believe that if you let's not use the word faith, but if you believe you can make reality, you can, you can believe it to conceive it, right? If you believe in something, you can actually make it come true. Um, I've always believed that there's a lot of different philosophies that lead to that. Right. And um, I think therefore I am right. There's, there's all these like old philosophers that say, you know, this same thing. And 
it's, you know, I've been using lately, you know, we go through these uh, cycles of self, I guess. Um, but lately I've been using like uh, vocabulary and rhetoric from, well, the Bible, because that's what I'm reading and I'm really head deep in it right now. So you know how it is. Anytime when we talked about Plato, we kept referencing the cave in multiple different uh, podcasts because it's just, you are what you eat. You start to produce what you consume. And right now I'm consuming the Bible. So I don't want people to think that, I want to make it clear that I don't believe everybody has to believe. I believe that as long as you're happy, I want you to be happy. And whatever makes you happy, that's what I want for you. Um, uh, you know, and Stephen's question, um, are these, like, is it typewritten into our DNA? I think to an extent it is, yes, because it's all energy. It's all energy. And there's positive and negative energy. And positive energy, we know it's good because other people feel good when we do good. We feel good when they feel good. We subconsciously know that we're all in this shit together and that we're all actually connected. But we have a lot of divisive uh, structures in place uh, through our education systems, through our societies, and they just love to divide us because we're easier to control when we're divided. Um, but, you know, since I have been reading the Bible, you know, God did create men and women, ladies, that's just short for everybody, um, uh, man in his image. Therefore, we are. We are the leaves of his tree, and the leaves of the tree are of the same makeup as the tree. Yeah, okay? Of the source. Of yeah. the source. We are of the source, you know, and they say, you know, the vine, right? The great vine or the grape vine, but the, the vine, we're all the grapes from the vine. And the vine is this grandiose, spreading, sprawling, crawling plant that just keeps going outwards and can actually consume everything around it. But it produces fruit. Well, let so me anyways, yeah, I think I think it's in it's within all of us already. Uh, but Remember, there's so much distraction in the world. This, like, uh, text scriptures are meant to bring us back into the fold. Okay. Well, let me ask you, a, like, a simple question. Like, what do you get from believing a, a deep faith in, in God? You know, forget about religion. What do you personally get? How does it comfort you or make you secure in who you are? Um, to, how would you explain that to someone that struggles to believe in God or doesn't believe in God? Okay, so yeah, no religion, just just let's even for the sake of other people, we can use a higher power. Okay, I think this is like what the AA people, I mean, they say God, but like, some people don't believe in God. And, and God is, you know, uh, there's so much gnarliness connected to God, right? A lot of the evil in the world has been done in the name of God. So a lot of us don't like it. And like you said earlier, authoritarian. Yeah, of course. Uh, it's meant to be. It's meant to be. But anyways, you know, so let's say a higher power or the, the, the energy of the universe. Um, I believe that when you do believe, like I personally choose to use the word God because it's monosyllabic, it's easier, and I can communicate with 3 billion people immediately. The other 4 billion, I'll use a higher power for you guys. But I believe that you don't, when you have faith, in something like this. You don't worry about the future anymore. You don't really care too much about what the future holds because you're in the present. 
you know that everything is being taken care of for you. The way it happens is the way it's supposed to happen, right? So just accept it. And I think you, so you gain this liberation from this, this obsession about the future, whether it be death or success, right? Success, you know, people that chase success and money don't reach it in the ways that people that don't chase it do. You know, look at Steve Jobs, look at all these really rich people. They just did what they loved. They weren't concerned about making money. That was never their goal. It just happened to, it just came to fruition, to continue on the metaphor, came to fruition, right? Because they believed in what they were doing, that that's what they should do. And they love doing it. Uh, so that's one, not worrying about the future, not worrying about my success or the well-being and my, you know, just focused on what I'm doing right now. That's it. Um, I also believe confidence. It boosts your confidence to a whole new level because, you know, I sometimes joke with my kids. Uh, I don't think they're all religious, but they're going to a Christian school. So my school is Thai Christian school. And uh, I probably shouldn't have said that on the air, but anyways, uh, <laughs> my, my school is a Christian school. And every once in a while, like presentations, they get so nervous and they stress. And I, and I, and I say it jokingly, but I say, hey, you guys, don't worry about what these other kids think. Nobody's opinion matters except for God's, your parents, and teacher John's. And it's a joke. It's a joke, right? And I was like, and even then, your grades don't define who you are. So just, just, just God and your parents. And I say that because when we believe that there's only that that's the only thing we become brave we can become self-confident we become stronger because we're not influenced by the people outside of us we know what we've got to do and we go straight and we follow that one thing so we're brave we experience more joy if you believe that somebody that god higher power the energy of the universe has got your back if you believe the energy, the universe wants what's best for you, man, you're just happy. You're content. And when a problem comes to face you, you know that you can overcome because you have the universe, God, from my perspective, at your back. It is the wind in your sail. Okay. You become immovable. You know, like a lot of people, we've been talking about this and that. And I'm like, I don't need to go elsewhere to get my information. I know where it is. It's all literally to me, it's all right here. It's all in this one little look at it. It's not even that big of a book. Now you can have textbooks of psychology, sociology that fill bookshelves for days, libraries, or you can have this one book that kind of talks about all of it. But yeah, you become immovable. You don't, you're not influenced by these exterior forces, right? Uh, you do, you are mindful of them. You do wish the best for them. And you may pray to improve the situation in Ukraine and Russia. You pray for peace, but you know that God is all like the universe is in control. God is in control. You don't have, you are not responsible for that. So it, it makes you immovable, happier, more accepting. Um, and then good things happen, Right. If you're immovable and you're not being swayed in one direction or the other by opinions of the now, of the day, right? Global warming, uh, wokeism, whatever, neo-Nazism. I don't know, all these catchphrases that make you worry about all these things and you know 
that God's got this. He doesn't want evil. So we know what's going to happen to all that evil. Someone, something's going to rise up and destroy it. Uh, eventually, it might take long. Maybe we have to learn from it, right? But great things start to happen. You become successful in all areas of your life because you're not distracted. You're not worried. You're happier. And happier people tend to make more money. And not because they chase money and it makes them happy. No, it's the opposite. That's the paradox, right? It is through their happiness and contentment, they become the best version of themselves and they can complete the task in the shortest amount of time in creative ways. And remember, if they, you know, if they're happy and understand that the universe loves us all and wants what's best, but also there's rules, right, that are within us that tell us not to do this, not to do that. If you treat everybody good, success comes, right? If you treat people the way you want to be treated, you will succeed, guaranteed. Guaranteed. There will be people there to fight the tiger off you. There will be people there that will help you in your morning. Um, so that's the way I see it, man. What about something really heavy like death? Like, does death scare you, or do you feel like there is something after and that gives you comfort, and there's not really a need to be super? concerned about death because it's part of life and maybe uh, some part of ourselves is going to go somewhere else yeah that's a good one you know i was only scared of death for like at one point in my life it was actually when i started living on my own like i told you at 16 i moved on my own i had a moment there it was like a couple days where i obsessed about it but no i'm not feared uh, not scared of it you know when i'm without god i sometimes look forward to death. I know that sounds terrible. I know that sounds terrible, but what I'm saying is it's like, you can rest. All this crap goes away. But, you know, from a, from a, a point where I'm at now in my life. So, you know, it is a time to rest, you know, and I don't believe in the pearly gates, the golden gates, right? These are all metaphors. Um, I think, but I do believe that we're not truly gone. We go back into the earth, we become the dirt, our energy reunites with the forces of the universe and go to God. But here's the thing is like, yeah, I believe that people that die are in a better place. They're at rest and they're being watched over, right? Um, these are all metaphorical speaking. So gotta, we've gotten way too literal in the last hundred, few hundred years. I really wish we'd live in a more figurative world, but yeah, I believe we do go somewhere where back in with all the rest of it, you know, we're all together again, all the energy is united and there's a controller of that energy. It is the energy and it flows in the right direction. Um, so that's, that's the way I see it, you know, and I have had people, you know, whose relatives have passed and, uh, you know, I really worry about you know, my own, but I do believe that if you believe in uh, an afterlife, the Buddhists believe in reincarnation, uh, you know, Judeo-Christian says that you'll be reunited with God, which is the energy, right, that I was just talking about. Um, I mean, how bad can that be, right? Like, I don't know. <laughs> Maybe I'm not the right guy to come to in consolence, but, but uh, you know, I believe for me, um, that it helps soothe big time. Cause like I said, you have that 
that that that ancestry that those people that are already watching you they're watching us they're here the energy doesn't dissipate it can it cannot be killed it cannot be destroyed it is always there yeah super interesting what about um you see, you mentioned that sometimes you you are feel connected with god and sometimes you don't is that because sometimes you're pushing it away or are you, are you somewhat kind of sometimes feeling angry? What is, why does, is the disconnection like occur? Yeah. Um, so that's a very interesting question. Um, but I think when times get hard, right? Like when bad things happen or if your head's in the wrong place, um, we temporarily have our faith stripped from us, right? So it could be like a parent losing a child or a child losing its parents, um, could be losing your own legs, you know, and, and, and it starts to make you question, like, what type of God would allow for something so terrible to take place? So there's those moments, I believe, get all of us, but me personally, um, me personally, you know, it's that I'm not being the best of myself and I get angry. Um, I'll get angry about it, you know? Um, and it's usually like <clears throat> at a time when I'm like, I don't know, I guess like, usually it's like inebriated, right? I'm like, uh, it's been a bad week. Things aren't going my way. I'm arguing with my wife. My mother-in-law is getting on my nerves. And then I decide to have too many drinks. And then that just kind of like makes me lash out. Right. Um, but I believe those moments are, are, are definitely passing, but I would say that is typically it. You know, all of us have weaknesses in our lives. And I think a lot of us wanna remove these weaknesses. And when we ask for help and it doesn't come, I think that again, strips us of our faith, of our belief in anything. And that makes us rebel against ourselves primarily. So when I'm angry, I think it's because I'm angry at myself. That's where I think it is. I'm projecting the way I feel about myself onto something else. Like I said, scapegoating God. It's pretty easy to do, dude. You can blame God for everything. And that's the, the greatness of having a pal that forgives you. <laughs> you know? But so, yeah, you know, that's, that's it for me, you know? But I think it happens to all sorts of people, right? Like, there are people of great faith that are devout and I'm talking for years, they do great things. And then an event, a single event shatters that and they lose their way. They lose their focus. You know, they stop looking at the North star. They stop following. They, they rip their Bible up, whatever they leave their church, whatever. And then they go their own way. Now, there's an, a really good movie. I'll, I'll find it for you a really good movie about this situation. And it's kind of a sad movie, but um, I'm not going to get into it right now. But this situation happens to all of us. It happens throughout our life. Life would not be beautiful if there weren't thorns and, you know, fire, you know, it just wouldn't be beautiful. So there needs to be suffering and that, that sucks, but it's, it's kind of the truth, right? Have you ever read the book by Neil Donald Walsh called Conversations with God? Yes. A long time ago, I actually, you recommended it uh, back in Colombia, And then I read it as soon as I went back to the USA. But yeah, 
just the first one. I didn't watch any of the sequel or read any of the sequels. I even watched the movie, but I definitely read the book. I got it from the library in Las Vegas and I read it. Yeah. Well, well just for anyone that hasn't read it, the, the premise is, is a dude that was brought up super Catholic. I think he's in about his fifties or early sixties. And one night he's super um, really bitter and resentful because his whole life is exactly like you described. Things are going bad. He's losing his job. He's running out of money. I think he's in his third breakup, marriage, divorce. And he just, he writes, he, he wakes up in like a rage and goes downstairs and writes this really bitter, resentful letter to God. Um, and then he says that basically God, he felt a presence. He felt an energy. He says that God spoke to him through um, through that pen and, and dialogue. And cre he created this conversation, this dialogue that became uh, uh, basically three or four books now i think our conversation with god book four came out about two years ago um which is like a 20 year gap from the first one uh, i bought it actually read it uh it, it, one of the things that it says is you know that, that i find interesting it's sort of run, running off the back of what you're saying is that should we blame god for anything that happens uh instead perhaps we should look at it like God is giving us the gift of these experiences and through those experiences, it's, it might be tough and challenging as a thorns, but they're experiences for us to, to feel and to grow. Right. And it would be unjust or unjust if, if God took away those experiences, because through those really tough trials and tribulations uh, are, are ways for us to basically overcome, um, to expand ourselves and to become in, in lots of ways, well, I guess there's two ways, you know, you either become stronger or it breaks you. Right. Um, I don't know. So I guess the question is, can we ever really hold God or anyone else accountable for the things that happen in our lives? Right. And is it just, are we just angry because like you said, we're lashing out, you know, but I would figure that if there was a God, you know, why, you know, how can you blame God for anything that's bad in this world? You know, like children dying and disease and destruction, like, it's not like I can't see God saying, you know, we're going to do this today. Today, we're going to support these people in this war and not support these people. Or we're going to allow this hurricane to happen over here, but not this hurricane to happen over here. That makes sense, right? So why should we hold God responsible for any of that? Uh, no, I don't. You know, it's a pretty profound question, but no, I don't think so. You know, um, I forget where it's at, but... Um... Well, like the deists, so the deists all like read the Bible. I mean, everybody's read the Bible because it's it's the Bible. It's just that one book, right? Like that this whole Western civilization has been built on. Um, so everybody's read it, but the deists believe that God created us, but does not interfere. interfere. So in the Bible, they talk about this, right? They they talk about uh, God is like a great father he cares and he loves and he wants the best for his children but he also wants them to be themselves to be free and we've had conversations about this we want our children to be able to choose their own path right uh how good is it to be a super controlling father you will be catholic you will go to sleep at eight you will eat your vegetable is that a good father i don't think so I don't think so. It's an, an oppressive, authoritarian, oppressive father um, that tries to control and manipulate. And I believe that God has given us, like you said, it's already within us. 
but not only that, he's built chapels and, you know, cathedrals and mosques and, you know, around the world. You can't, you can't say that he didn't give us access to that information. It's there and it's in numbers big time. Um, it's hard to avoid. Look, I work at a place that marks their name with the Christ, right? Um, you know, and there's Muslim schools. I pass one every single day. It's a very beautiful, well, it's kind of run down, but super beautiful dome. It's right on my way to work. It's probably about three minutes on my scooter away from my school. So I kind of believe it in that way. And the way the Bible says it is that God gave us the tools we needed. He wants, he's waiting, he's watching, he's hoping, but he's not going to be an oppressive, authoritarian, choice-making father. He's going to let his children live their lives with free will and he wants them to do right but right like we need to understand the bad too that's the only way to have the full experience right so you know it's complicated but do i think every once in a while there'll be a you know a divine intervention so to speak yeah i think at times but usually as we all know it comes through people Right? These divine interventions oftentimes come uh, from people like Jesus Christ or Muhammad or, you know, Gatsby. <laughs> Sorry, Gandhi. Whoa. <laughs> what just happened? Hey, but even, even Gatsby, right? Like, uh, even Gatsby know, had Chase, a dream. Chase, even, yeah, even he had yeah, a dream. <laughs> he had a dream. <laughs> oh, man, that's good stuff. Yeah, I, that makes sense to me. Like, I feel like one of the things that we're gifted to be human is, is this creative energy that we have. And like you said, I think that's one of our greatest tools in the toolkit. And that can really manifest some serious shit. Like it, you can really create your own reality. You can impact a thousand, a million people. Like when you decide intellectually and then maybe through the source, through your soul that you wanted to do, you want to do something you know, like it's, it's such an incredibly powerful alignment, you know, like Martin Luther King, you know, standing up for what he believed in, you know, like. Yeah. And so like, if sorry to interrupt real quick, but like, so if there was an intervening God, I mean, wouldn't that be lame? I'm sorry, but like, he'd be like trying to solve everybody's problems, not giving them a chance to shine in their own right. Right. Like I'm just reading. Whose side does he take? well that too right like then if you if you you know then if you yeah if you take a side then you're not everybody's right you're not there for everybody and that's going to create division in itself and you're gonna lose the battle but like you know what i mean like kids make mistakes we 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 should allow them to correct their own mistakes because that's where the self-confidence comes that's where the pride comes from right like i did it you know and uh, like you said, we're super creative. And if we're given the time, you know, enough pressure, we can, we can find our way out. We can correct things. And we do. We often have. Over throughout history, we've done it again and again and again. Um, unfortunately, we do learn that uh, people always go astray. And then it takes something to bring the people back. And unfortunately, that something is, can be really painful, really dark. What do you think? I just want to throw this curveball at you. Like people that are super nihilistic, don't give a shit about anything. Uh, and they just renounce or renounce any sense of meaning or responsibility or maybe not responsibility, but kind of any kind of higher power, any kind of 
greater meaning or significance in their lives. Do you think is, is, does that come from just a, a, a place of helplessness? I don't know. Like, where do you think that ideology comes from and why haven't they been able to tap into maybe a, a greater, a greater source of energy or are they processing it in a, in a complete intellectual realm and can't see past that. What do you think that fits into the, into the scheme, like into the, the picture? Well, I think a lot of people that are nihilists are really in fear of a lot of things. They might not admit it and they might not even always know it. Right. But that, that uh, you always put yourself first, right? Because nobody else cares about me. Um, only I can solve my problems. Um, I'm the best, you know, but you know, oftentimes people that like bullies, right. Or people that just think of themselves as the best really are suffering somewhere deep down. Now, they're how do they fit into this idea that like well that everybody has access to a higher uh order so to speak um you know i'm not quite sure that's a good question it does kind of throw me back a little bit and i really have to think about it but i would imagine that well if you're nihilist you can't be selfless right you, you're full of self that's all you you're obsessed with self and uh you know this is the this is a great great destroyer of community and love um because if we're selfish and we're self-centered then we don't worry so much about the others who are just like us going through the same crap uh but you know was it marlo who's the hierarchy of needs yeah maslow Maslow. yeah abraham Maslow. maslow Yeah, in Maslow's, you know, like that, there's that self-actualization, realizing, accepting, knowing who you are. And a lot of that comes from being immovable, finding your path, right? And connected. Um, and connected, um, a part of the greater, the, the, this, this, this experience, this universe, the family, whatever. Um, and it goes beyond that. Then once we reach that, we still need to help others now why is that uh i think it's because we are all connected i think we're all part of the same cloth the same fabric we're cut from the same fabric we feel each other's pain and so i feel really sad for a nihilist right because they they don't get to experience that um and therefore they don't get to experience the great happiness and true joy that comes from helping other people because the only reason why you and I teach is not for the grading. It's not for the pay. It's not for the benefits. It's for that higher cause. It's for to, to, to be of service. And I know I don't always do a good job. I get angry sometimes with my students. Sometimes I can be a little, you know, I have moments. Um, but I do truly care. And then when I, when I feel like I've helped somebody, man, like when that student gave me a hug, it kind of like holy cow, touch my heart. Like I couldn't believe, like, obviously I'm on the right track. And that knowing that I help someone else, there's no greater joy in the world. There just isn't. No money can compare to that. So I don't know, man, that's a great question. It's hard. I would like to think about that, but where does he fit in? Why isn't he being called, you know, again, I'm using he slash she, he, why isn't he being called back to the light? Uh, maybe he is, but Remember, when you are selfish, you cannot be selfless. And to be faithful requires a separation from self um, and your ego. 
that's what it requires, right? It's that's the that's the recipe. There's no other way to become to be of faith or have faith except for to give up the reins. Yeah, maybe a sense of helplessness as well, like nothing else, nothing matters because there's nothing else. And um, yeah, it's super interesting. What about uh, if you're an evolutionary biologist and you know, like you look at what they believe, it's kind of like everything, earth, matter, the universe came from basically um, some kind of life started. And this is kind of where it immediately gets contradicts, right? But it's, you know, we're all cells and we're all, we produce and then we're all governed by our biological instincts. The only really reason that humans are here is simply to reproduce, pass on the genes, you know, the selfish gene concept. And most of our behaviors can be really explained by either our evolutionary biology or our social conditioning that's super aligned with our evolutionary biology. So what would you say to someone that says, I believe in evolutionary biology and there is no greater purpose or anything else because most of our behaviors and most of our behaviors and psychology can be explained by the simple need for us to survive and reproduce. Uh, I would say uh, <laughs> that that's very interesting. I still feel like it's void, right? Yeah, we all know that we're, we're we all know that things change over time. I mean, it's happening with languages. It's happening with glaciers. It's happening with humans. We're all evolving over time. Um, and then we have this desire to procreate. Uh, and we have certain like um, organs that draw us, that make it pleasurable to mate. But I think that there's more to it. Like my son did not come into being because of my desire for pleasure. Well, except for the pleasure of being a father, but I'm talking about sexual pleasure. There was no, that was has nothing to do now it made it easier to get the job done, right? Of course, yeah, you know, feels good, hey. But uh, but the point is, is like, I, I think there's more to it. But I guess an evolutional biologist could say that, yeah, there are there are like, there's clockwork within us that drives us to procreate, so that we can continue this this natural this bio, biological evolution, I guess, um, and uh, to keep things going. But like I said, it's still void, right? You still tend to lose that person in your corner that is always there that thing that has always got your back that's always waiting that has a place for you to rest with all your with all your others all your friends all your family waiting for you so don't worry about the future don't worry about your death we got you now evolutional biology doesn't have that and this is the problem with the sciences while i think the sciences are great you know uh, they offer a great story and a lens and, a, and some tools to, to, to get things done um, and create things, whatever. Um, but they don't help us on the spiritual realm at all. And humans are of spirit, right? Like all life is of spirit, right? It's that energy. It's that light. Uh, that's the spirit, right? And, you know, you see like You've seen that video where the kid falls into the cave at the, the cage at the zoo and a mother gorilla goes in and fights like stands up to a silverback grabs the kid shelters him and brings him to the feeding door where he she knows that's her contact for humans i mean this is within us like all of us you know like this love this compassion you know because we are connected and I feel like if we don't have those stories, it's just empty, right? Yeah, you've got a 
great story, the Big Bang. I mean, it's funny if you actually read the Big Bang Theory, uh, it's quite close to in the beginning when God created the heavens and the earth, it was dark and void and God said, let there be light. Come on. The guy that, the, the guy that created the Big Bang Theory was a Catholic. He's just trying to write for the people that don't have that story of creation. Okay, so we have a lot of people that don't believe. They want a story. Okay, let's give them the story. But I, I don't see why two of those philosophies actually have to be mutually exclusive. Like, you know, why can't- I don't, I don't think they are. I yeah. personally think they're actually united in, in many ways. Like biology and life, right? Like life is beautiful and uh, it's pretty diverse. Well, where, like, yeah, and where does a heartbeat come from? You know, what is the, you know, like, what is the energy of light? Like I know scientists are trying to replicate certain environments that, you know, the, the spark of life and trying to recreate that. But where does that come from? Because right? I, I think that's the, the easiest way, I think, to attack that argument of evolutionary biology, that there is only that because there's still lots of stuff that we can't explain, like, you know, and, and if we don't, don't understand where life comes from, and maybe one day we'll have a better idea, doesn't mean that there's still no such thing as a soul doesn't mean there's still no such thing as the spiritual realm within that, you know, in that biological housing. So I don't know. I would, I would think that they don't have to be mutually exclusive and they could, that was like Charles Darwin, right? He, you know, he came up with his theory of evolution and he like sat on it for 20 years because, you know, he was worried about that was going to destroy his Catholic faith, you know, to destroy his reputation and um, mar the Catholic church. Uh, and it, it's obviously a huge deal back then. I think that was like 1850-ish, uh, 1850-ish. But ultimately, you know, like the one, the one thing that I felt, I'm like, well, why can't two things, why can't they exist at the same time? Like, you know, Catholic, spirituality or religion or Catholicism or any other religion and evolution. Like, I, I don't understand why. Is it divide and conquer? Is it we're, we're limited in our beliefs? You know, is it, you know, our story cannot, you know, cannot inter, um, interpret or you know, take on other facets that could appear to be threatening, you know? So it just... Yeah, I maybe, think maybe he just wanted to, you know, be careful because he understands sensitivity, you know? And it's good to be respectful. Like if you have this idea like Darwin did, uh, I think he sat on it for good reasons. I, I, I mean, why, why did it matter that we didn't have this new information 20 years earlier. Do you think the world would be different? No, I don't think so. Uh, I do think that he, you know, when you are of a community like, like, or a religion, you're taught to have respect, to be careful what you do, to be careful what you say, do not act. Cause once you do it, you can't take it back. So you can be forgiven, but you can never take it back. Right? Those are two different things completely. And I believe, you know, it goes back to, you know, I like Catholicism. I think it's a great religion, but, but remember it's run by humans. It's a, it's a group of human beings and all humans are sinners. That means all of us do wrong given the opportunity. Not that we usually want to, like, like it's not like this big plan. I'm going to become a priest and like climb the echelons, become a bishop, and then I'm going to take advantage. That's never the plan. It's never the plan, I don't think. Maybe it has been the plan for a couple people, right? It definitely has. Everything's possible. 
but I believe that these things evolve. <laughs> Just to tie it all back together, they evolve. They happen when you have exposure to power and control. I mean, we know that the Pharisees were trying to keep this, this story of God away from the people. Like the only way to have access to God and to have the love and light of God was to serve the Pharisees. You have to do what they say, which they they use the law. But the law means you have to give the Pharisees food all the time. You have to take care of them. And then what happens if they, you know, and also the Pharisees, if you were sick, you had to be excommunicated, stuff like that. So my point is, is it doesn't matter if you're agnostic, uh, atheist, Jewish, Christian, Muslim, evil still exists. And it still gets its little hooks into us. It doesn't matter what station of life you are. The Pope, you know, could be, could totally become corrupt for something. Something can happen. Um, and it often does. So that's my, uh, I guess, oh, is, is going back to Darwin, you know, there's always going to be people in place that don't like what you did even in a place where you're supposed to love it. Now, remember, I don't want to call myself Catholic. I want to call myself Christian. Why? Because I believe in Jesus Christ. I believe in those words. Now, I choose the Catholic church because it's the one that covers the Bible. That's what it does. It reads three verses of the Bible every day. You sing songs. It's so structured. It's so like rigid and, and it's very um, carnal, very carnal. I love it. But anyways... Those are still people. Don't forget that. Those pews, that pulpit is still filled with sinners. You can't remove that. You can never remove that. No matter how close we get to God, we're still, we can still, still be corrupted. We're still we human. Still make, we're still human. We still make big mistakes. We still say the wrong things to people on bad days that we shouldn't, that ultimately hurts them, right? It doesn't matter. And so this is, that's, I guess, yeah, I'll let you go. Well, is there any difference between your point of like your ideology and someone that believes in like my cousin, for example, she's, I would call her like a spiritual person. She's very in touch with how she feels and the universe well, and, and nature. Like, is there any difference to what you, like your ideology uh, and, and maybe someone that con considers themselves to be super spiritual? with the inner journey and, and processing emotions. Um, and there might be some difference between like the spiritual realm and like stoic philosophy, where it's like, you know, you're reframing things and you're dealing with things and you're saying, well, this sucks, but how can I learn from it? What can I take from it? And, you know, not the, the stoic philosophy seems to be reframing things to, to your advantage, but also separating yourself from it emotionally Sorry. Whereas the spiritual journey seems to me like you, you reframe it or, but you're still feeling it a lot and you're moving through it, even if it's painful. And it's kind of like, you're hoping to grow from the pain of these experiences. I'm probably explaining this badly. Not everyone feels like this as maybe would define themselves as spiritual, but I would consider someone to be spiritual as someone that is super in touch with how they uh, emotionally interact with the world. And they take on experience experiences of all capacities as as learning and growing experiences to understand themselves and the world and others yeah well 
you know the spiritual is just uh, an emphasis on your uh your energy and emotions right it's just uh, that's that that's where they focus the energy and the emotion um and that's great and i would argue that many many religious people are spiritual um but if you're claiming that you're not like uh i'm not religious i'm spiritual i don't know like because that's the way i feel too but the reason why I, I like going to church and why I want to, because I love seeing people on the same page, trying to improve their life, trying to be a better citizen for the world. I think there's so much beauty in that congregation of believers that are really, what they're trying to do is become better human beings. And you see them all together. It's not a rock concert where everybody's like, yeah, man, the music and dancing and thrashing around. No, these people are really focused on their spirit. You know what I mean? Like, so spiritual has different meanings now, right? Because spirit comes, spiritual just means it's an adjective that describes someone that has, is full of spirit, right? Uh, but spirit, some spiritual people will say, I'm not religious. I think our philosophies are very, uh, they overlap, right? Big time. I think there's a lot, big juxtaposition between my belief, um, because I do believe in creating positive energy. I do believe in the emotional side of things, because I know that, like with my students, for example, I want them to be positive. I want them to believe positive, because good things come from positivity, right? They get charged up. Um, and I want them to feel confident, so they're not, not scared so emotionally. But I think that the biggest difference, I guess, just to, I don't even know if I'm answering your question, but like, if I could say it in a very ignorant way, the biggest difference between like what we would call a spiritual person and let's say, um, well, you're asking about me, so I can't even use um, religious because I'm not religious. Um, um, I just try to follow this great teacher basically. Uh, so I guess the only difference between like that person and myself would be the fact that I guess I look to a human figure I look to, uh, I don't want to call, it's not a hero, but gee, I mean, it was a hero, but a, a human figure that showed us that we too can be great and heal people. You know, this healing is just about positive energy and good emotional stability. That's really what it was, right? Like, I mean, so I don't think there's a huge difference except for I, I choose to have a teacher. I've chosen a teacher and just like any Kung Fu fighter, you always have a sensei. You'll never be as good without one. Um, that's a fact. Even like Bruce Lee, right? He had a trainer. He had someone that helped him. Um, and that's the key is having that, that teacher in your corner that keeps trying to bring you back on path. Yeah. What would you say to someone that maybe like myself is quite agnostic, you know, in the sense of like, ah, oh, they, you know, they could be God, they could not be God. I don't know. Um, and they, maybe they want to believe, but they, they have difficulty making that leap of faith, you know, because of just never really, maybe there was no real connection there, or maybe they just didn't know how, or it was never taught to them, or they were just unaware of it. You know, what would you say to someone that's agnostic in the sense of, how can that person make the leap into uh, believing in God so that their life, they can find that enrichment that you speak of? Um, 
Well, you know, agnostic, uh, you know, yeah. Like, you know, all I would say is that just, I tell this to anybody that remember only you can find whatever you believe is only you in your, your special unique makeup and intellect and mind can find your way to God, if you will. Okay. To use that word, uh, God, uh, I would warn people, I'd warn anybody to, to, to listen to the teachings of others, right? Like, I think we should be able to listen to, doesn't matter, anybody's story, right? And be sensible and respectable and listen to it. And, but remember, don't take it or leave it, right? Take it or leave it. So my number one thing I would say is to make sure that you build your own concept of it. And if... I do believe that stories, right? Humans are very story-oriented animals. In fact, it just helps us, you know, you know you're a teacher. That's how we create schemas and paradigms in our mind. That's, you know, it's neuro neurology. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I'd say do it on, like, be weary of the opinions of others because the way I see God is not the way 7 billion other people see God. Do I believe it's the same God? Sure. Yeah. But I would, I would really recommend that you go on your own path, be respectful of all others and, you know, talk to people because they're going to have great ideas. Right. And some of them, you're going to be like, Oh yeah, yeah. That resonates with me, but there's going to be a lot of crap. You got to be careful for that crap, man. There's just too much crap out there. And, uh, if someone was interested, I would tell them to, like I said, find your interest, find what works best for you, and then go for the scripture. Scripture first. It's just you and God. Everybody else are just friends and family, and, you know, they're not going to see the world the way you do. Okay, so I really believe that going to church is not a bad thing. It's, it's, it can be a very good thing, but you have to read you have to find it for yourself. Nobody can lead you to your destination. No one. That's what I would say. Um, yeah. So find your own, find what's real for you. Be weary of the wolves and the dividers and the perceptions of others and go straight for the gold, straight for the text itself and read the text. And remember that the text might be flawed too but it doesn't matter. There's no tones there. There's no facial expressions. There's no things to push and batter you. Uh, so that's, that's all I'd say. Yeah. I think that's great advice. And one of the things that you've taught me over the years is that, you know, bringing my attention and awareness to the power of the Bible, if you look at it as a source of wisdom and you look at it, not literally, but also, like you said, figuratively, metaphorically, when you look at just stories of, like a lot of humanity stories of, of, of suffering or stories of wisdom parables they that really you know just really thousands of years of wisdom right that people have encapsulated that and created a book and a lot of the are great are great philosophers or people that have ideas spiritual people how many of these ideas are actually new 
You know, like I, I, I read Man's Search for Meaning and I was like, this is the greatest, you know, Victor Frankl, this is the greatest book I've, I've read in a while based on, you know, stoic philosophy or, or how to reframe things and understanding psychology. And then I'm just like, well, and then I found out about Epictetus and I'm like, well, it, Epictetus said this 2000 years ago, you know, so and I felt a little bit deceived because I was like, oh, I thought this guy was, you know, he's presenting this information as, as his own. But it's like the same, you know, he came to those conclusions by himself through his pain and suffering. And he, he came out with these gems of wisdom uh, that he was able to process, but he wasn't the first one to come to that realization. Now, I guess. Yeah, but like you said that we are, we are, we are created with these, with this infinite wisdom within us. And sometimes we just have to be reminded by someone and it's there. That's why we understand it. So I wouldn't say that it matters that someone said it 2000 years ago, it's still equally important to talk about it today, right? And we can come up with some of these experiences, just are these uh, advices, recommendations, philosophies, just by personal experience. Because like you said, it's already inside of us, all of this. We're cutting from the same cloth, man. Well, the Bible cups a lot of shit for people you know, that people basically dismiss it as, as some kind of autocratic or very judgmental or very limited piece of lit literature, right? As a, as a system of control. But it's kind of a, a, if anything, it's a shame that it isn't as respected as much as it could be in some circumstances because people aren't aware of exactly what you've explained is that the wisdom is already being explored and other people come to that other people also come to those conclusions through their own hardship in life, but it's, a, it's already there. Why shouldn't we respect and, and diverge divulge in, in this book? That's already sharing some of this great wisdom that's already established from a lots of great minds and philosophy. It's already there. Right. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and like I said, like there are forces in place that want to divide people. And though the Bible it has a lot of like dark cloud blood all over it, right? It has chains. People associate it with chains and blood and whipping and just the absolute evil of the earth. Because, but they're forgetting that it was the Bible didn't go punch anybody in the face, the Bible didn't touch any kid's leg. It's a book, it's the people that control it. And there are a lot of people out to divide people. So they want you, it is beneficial for a consumer society to reject God, trust me. And they're doing everything they can to do that from Hollywood to news pieces, because let's admit it, the people in charge yesterday are still in charge, you know? And uh, a lot of those people might even be religious, which is unfortunate, but they're humans. So they're gonna corrupt. Ultimate power corrupts absolutely, or absolute power corrupts absolutely. And this doesn't change if you're like a very devout Jew or Muslim or Christian. You still, Buddhist, I mean, Buddhism is one of the richest religions of the world, yet they don't give, you don't see them giving charity. I don't understand. I don't understand where this money goes, but it goes to the kings. But anyways, like I said, people, are the problem. So I really feel it's unfortunate, especially anybody that likes literature because there's no better foundation, right? If you wanna learn French, Spanish, and if you wanna understand the Latin languages, you gotta read Latin. 
the Bible is the foundation of the Western canon of literature and storytelling and law. It is, yeah, it's sad. I think it's extremely sad, but I, I say this one with absolute confidence, absolute faith and confidence that this book will be lifted up high to a high station once again in the future. I know it will. It always does. It always comes back. When shit hits the fan, trust me, this will be the book that everybody turns to. Yeah, it's got it all. I mean, you can read Shakespeare. You got to read a whole lot of plays, right? You can read all the different people's ideas, like you said, but there's also this one really easy to tote around the world book that has all of those stories within it already from incest to murder, to deception, to lies, to righteousness, to growth, to torment, to triumph. I mean, to someone really, really loves you. I mean, come on, man. Yeah. You can't beat that shit. It's only like 800 pages. Not even that. How many pages is this thing? But yeah, man, no, I hear it. You know, it's, 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 it's all good. Like you don't have to read the Bible to be a good person. I don't believe you have to believe in Jesus or the Bible to get back into the fat, to go back to the, to God. I don't believe that. I believe you have to be a really good human being. You have to be selfless. That's how you get back to the family, right? To keep it, you know, to, you know, heaven and hell is right here on earth, right? We, we build, we can, we can live in hell and that's like, you know, pain and suffering and hate and uh, not having any friends like, like fucking Ebenezer Scrooge, dude. Like, I mean, that's hell. Look at, he saw the three ghosts and so Christmas past came and then it changed his life and he became a good man. And all of a sudden everybody loved the Scrooge, but they despised him before. Why? Because he was living in hell and he ends in heaven, thank God. Um, and so you see these stories, right? The Christmas Carol, there's one right there, classic. It's just a biblical story, dude. It's nothing more. Just made appet appetizable or palatable for the masses. Um, mm. And yeah, you can make a lot of money off this book if you want to be greedy. <laughs> you can write so many stories, right? Just based on the stories here. So <laughs> don't worry, my friend. It will never disappear. Have mm. you watched the book of Eli with Denzel Washington? Uh, yeah, I have. A long time That's ago. That's a great one, dude. That was awesome. I love that the book is empty the whole movie <laughs> and because it, it's all up here like you said it's already inside of us man yeah that's a great yeah that's a great point um i'm just wondering too like it, it makes sense capitalism is definitely ethically void because it's 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 defining defining power is is, is ultimately money right and that's what it's demand and supply and money and that's what that's what conquers and it's not about anything ethical like people are willing to destroy the planet to take out natural resources and people are willing to let other people starve and, and struggle it doesn't really but i i think we could build a better version of capitalism but there is it doesn't seem like capitalism at well, what i see there's no eth, there's no ethical there's no ethical compass there's no ethics or morality within capitalism it's just it's kind of like a, a buy and sell demand and sell, supply market that just pushes and it, it sort of brings it's like the internet sometimes it brings out the worst well a lot of times it brings out the worst in people would so it doesn't really um it doesn't really connect people but i don't know if we were to connect more with the the ethical element of who we were 
the world would be definitely a different place you know maybe it's just it's too out of control maybe it was just with too many people and maybe it's too we're too disconnected between them versus us and you know there's just so many uh so many of of them that we stop caring after a while you know it's just and they look different they sound different they speak a different language yeah and it could be a part of our you know it could be a part of our nature man like let's uh maybe look at capitalism as like a as a, a natural phenomenon right like um, if you think about noxious weeds or plants, uh, they're plants that overtake other plants um, to get the most, right? They, they, they dominate and they take over the resources, which would be the minerals in the soil, and they kill off the others, right? Um, it's a big problem. But if you look in nature, it happens all the time. The wolves might outhunt the or overhunt uh, the um, deer, or, or, or other game in livestock, and they eventually deplete the resources to they to they commit suicide. They destroy themselves. Their whole ecosystem collapses, right? And then it's got to start over again. So um, and that's the rising and falling of towers, right? Like so, there's a metaphor for it. But like if you see it, like a lot of people say, oh, the, like I I hear this argument a lot. But look at the queen bee in a beehive. We always romanticize about how important bees are and how beautiful and just they are. Well, let's really look at it. You got a lot of servants doing a lot of work for a small stipend to make the bee queen be big and fat. And she's the storekeeper. She owns it all. Okay. You know, and she has a signal that can paralyze these things. They're scared of her. Okay. You look everywhere in nature. It's like this. So we can lie to ourselves and pretend that we're not nature, that capitalism is a economic model or system, or is it just part of our workings, part of our makeup, right? The, cons the consolidation of resources, because we don't want, eventually there's not gonna be enough. And biologically speaking, we want to survive. How better to survive than to hoard the resources, right? Yeah. yeah. And I figure very like natural. It's very, very natural. Um, just because there's a God, does that mean evil doesn't exist? Absolutely not. It exists and it's alive and well, dude. It is, you know, yin and yang, buddy. It's like half the ocean, right? It's, 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 it is who we are. We are part of evils within all of us. Um, it's just there. It's part of the energy. Let's just call it the negative energy, right? We have positive and negative energies and protons and neutrons and the universe and the light. It's all just energy. Yes, it is. And there's negative, evil, and positive, good. They coexist. And in fact, they kind of prop each other up. Yeah, because the, the polarity there, I guess, stimulates each side to a yeah. degree. What do you think of this idea that is it possible like through through either spirituality, religion, or believing in God, or, or just people kind of waking up um, that we could elevate our level of consciousness and awareness and, and drastically change humanity so that we could leave behind some of our biological traits that are harmful? Is that Do you think that's possible for humanity to, to be able to adopt an ideology inherently that creates a much better society or are we always going to be a slave to our those biological drives well i mean our vessel is biological mm. but can we rise above it as a society 
can't we just be like you know you read a science fiction book and it's like someone gets in a spaceship and their society's like everyone's super evolved and they're telepathically thinking and you know no one's cheating on each other because no one's stealing because they just know it's not the right thing to do and they're just they're not a slave to those drives that maybe they're aware of them and they have them but they've been able to evolve their consciousness i don't know i don't know if it's possible for humans to have that collective awareness you know and higher vibrational i think we're we're waking up as a species we definitely feel that there's a lot more awareness and you know than, than what there was and i think our we we are much more reflective in it. but like we we seem to have as a species a lot of growth yet to occur yeah yeah, and that's a good, you know, a good question. But there we are thinking about the future, right? The ultimate goal is to not think about that place. It's to do the best. It's to strive for what you're talking about right here, right now. And I think that's all we can do. Can we control others? Not necessarily, man. You got to inspire them. And once you inspire them, you're basically luring people from from one story to your story. And the authors of that other story are not going to be very happy. They're not going to be happy that they're losing their readership, right? So can we elevate to a place outside of this? I'm not sure, man. Uh, it's a nice romantic idea. But right now we're in the thick of it. I, I wouldn't I don't, I, I'm not going to say yes or no, man. Everything's possible. Um, everything's possible. Um, but I, I do believe that to have a notion such as that is to be like maybe overly concerned about the problems of the world. And this takes me back to why I believe faith is awesome because you put that responsibility is not yours. Now you do have a responsibility and it's the law. And the law always strives to what you're talking about. It's already written. It's right here, right next to me. It's, I can point out verses to you that tell you to love thy neighbor, to take care of others, even foreigners, strangers in your land should not pay more taxes. They should not be treated differently. So if you, uh, a child of Israel, strikes down a foreigner in your land, for something, it's an eye for an eye. You're going to get what you did. You're going to be punished equally. So this is already written, is it not? This desire. But to come up with new ideas about it, you know, to like, how can we cure the disease? It just means we're focused on the negative, not on the good. Okay. That's, that's the way I take it. Like, Let's, let's, I do have romanticism in my heart, in my blood. So I'd say, yes, I hope, I hope we can, but I'm kind of a realist at times and say that there's going to be a lot of consequences to reach that place. There's going to be a lot of people's toes that you're stepping on. And these people are not nice. They've gotten to where they are because they've, well, let's just say they have the power to do so and they know it. Well, I love I love the the what the the main the crux of your argument, which is like it's the individual's journey and the individual's responsibility. And if we all kind of did that, we could all grow and we could all kind of be better and we could all contribute better and we could all impact society in a positive way. But it starts with us and it starts by being aware right now. 
And that super connects into what you're talking about growing up and, you know, distractions and drugs and alcohol and dealing with trauma. And it's like this process of waking up spiritually, emotionally. Uh, chasing you know. women, man. That's another bad one, right? Like, you know, we have an expression called chasing tail, right? So where does that come from? It's a dog running in circles, chasing its tail, going nowhere in a hurry. That's what chasing women is. That's why we're told to get married, marry one, have a family and don't divorce. Dude, if you follow that one rule financially, you'll be 10 times better off. Guaranteed. I wouldn't yeah. say 10 times, but many be. times better off. You, yeah, you know what because, I mean? Because a lot so of these rules are meant. So sorry, continue on. Yeah, I was just I was gonna add to that and say a lot of men that are in their 40s that I've spoken to said, Oh, you know, I don't want to get married because I don't want to pay for having a kid. I don't want to pay for, you know, really like when you have a wife and even though there's more responsibility, you end up saving more because there's structure and you end up being more responsible, right? But a lot of that is like a spiritual or emotional and and like it's a coming of age kind of internal awakening, which is really powerful, you know, yeah. that's, but that's got to happen to the individual. And I'm not sure if it happens to everybody, you know, like it's not, not I don't know if everyone's lucky enough to have that light come on like you did, you know, not, I'm not sure if everyone's lucky enough to, to ask those questions or be resentful to at least have that confrontation and conflict so that that light could go on for you and, and, and really start glowing and shining to, to permeate into other aspects of your life. You know, it does it happen for everybody. I don't know if it does. No, probably not. I mean, it happens at different times, you know, for all people. of us. And unfortunately there's the, the, the dark side where there's people that don't wake up until they're already well laying down. Yeah. That's really sad. That's that is really very sad. Yeah, that's really sad. So let me ask you another question. Like, what's your main dominant, like domineering or dominant emotion that you have day to day? Like, how do you, what's your dominant emotional state that you feel? I know that's kind of like a weird question, but like, I figure that if you can be a real, like a spiritual person, um, you know, can we get ourselves into a state where we feel uh, a strong sense of calm, peace, patience, or are we, do we still flux fluctuate between a whole range of experiences do or do you have a dominant state or not so much i'd say no man like it's a good question but it, it's kind of a strange one but yeah it's a it's a good question right it makes me think i like the question because it's challenging me to try to really uh, assess reflect on my normal but i i'm a pendulum man i swing back and forth i have you know, I, every day I have good emotions every single day. And I have love in my heart every single day. I have a little bit of frustration um, also in my heart day to day, you know, and then there's even a, a bit of animosity or anger that like fl flowers up for, you know, springs up, whatever, um, at least once a week, right? So um, I don't think I have a dominant one, man. I, I have to think about that. What about you? You tell me. That's a hard question. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is a hard question. I find myself fluctuating between frustration, calm, calmness, peacefulness, you know, um, relaxation, and then to frustration again. And I, I think I need to meditate because I th I'm thinking out loud. Maybe that will help. But I definitely want to be in this constant state of, of peace. That's what I aim for right? To just be peaceful and calm and confident 
within myself and the way I interact with other people. But, you know, I was at the gym today and there was lots of things, you know, I paid a lot of money to join this gym and I'm just really disappointed in the way they run things. And I feel myself like literally getting angry and frustrated and, and wanting to lash out. And, and I, I watch myself, I observe myself doing that. And I just, I want to eradicate even that, that, that thinking because I, the thinking changes my emotional state. And then I feel like then it, then it's controlling me where if I feel like I can, if I tap into the peace from the beginning, then I can prevent that whole cycle from even beginning. Um, but yeah, I, what I aim for is nothing but peace. I think that's the, that's what I aim for because when I, when I'm in my, especially teaching over the last couple of years, when I get into the classroom, I kind of used to feel a little bit overwhelmed and I'm trying to do four or five things at the same time. And now I just stop myself and I just go, no, I'm going to do things at my pace and my time. And then I'm just going to, I'm going to stop, breathe it in, look at my students and look within myself and then do things one thing at a time, maybe think one or two things ahead, but just breathe. And that helps me a lot. Uh, And I try to take the same philosophy and, and use it when I'm talking to to people interacting with the world. Yeah, absolutely, man. Um, And I, I feel the same. I strive for peace. That's all I want for all of us, Uh, you know, for myself and my family and the world, man, I want the world to be at peace um, for sure. Right. And I think a lot of that, like you said, meditation, right. Uh, Or prayer helps. So like prayer is like talking to the universe, right. And meditation is listening to it. Um, And I think that's a great start, but I think tolerance and acceptance, right. Like is so key um, to finding peace. So like, now I'm going to, put a quick um, disclaimer in there here. Uh, I would react exactly the same way you did. And I will tomorrow, even after I say this. But I would say to myself and to you, when these moments come about, okay, this was supposed to happen. This is supposed to happen. So what am I going to learn here? What's going to change? What, what, what do I need to do to get the most out of this? But it happened for a reason, right? So like, I don't know, like I said, it's easier said than done, but that's the ultimate goal is to see everything as an opportunity, not as a problem, not as a conflict, but as a opportunity to solve a problem or to learn something new, you know, but, you know, and I get, I get pissed off all the time, bro. (laughs) And when I say pissed off, I'm not hurting people lashing out or saying really mean things to people. I'm just pissed off inside, dude. I'm, I'm, but look, I'm just hurting myself just hurting myself, which makes me less patient with my students, my coworkers, and my wife. So really the ultimate goal is quit struggling against thyself, right? And I, I wish I could do it. Um, and I'm going to strive to do it. Uh, but to see everything as an opportunity rather than a, a problem, right? Yeah. Yeah. And it's not easy to do that because you're it's not, you're not easy, easy to do that because you're fighting against yourself. Um, my personal philosophy for a lot of time has been dealing with things for individually or alone. And it's, it's, it's sometimes that's really hard because you don't have, um, you don't have that comfort of love. You don't have that uh, possible, you know, that, that security, that security that you feel or that reassurance. And it's, 
you know, it's tough when you go through life and you're trying to work out and solve and, and process things. And, you know, I, I don't think that even as humans, we're meant to be dealing with things alone. We're meant to have family, we're meant to have community, we're meant to have people to strengthen us, right? You know, as, as steel sharpens steel, man sharpens man. And not just in our skills and intellect, but also with um, empowering us emotionally, spiritually, right? So I think that's really important. And I think the church um, religion or spirituality is able to do that because they give us more tools to work with. And, you know, like when you're adopting, I don't know, man, like the, the God thing or a higher power thing, it's like the ultimate philosophy in some ways, right? Because if you believe in God, and that's like your whole reality changes because of that. Right. And it can be super empowering. It can be super empowering and more than anything else, because it can be a lot more empowering than being agnostic. Cause it's like, I don't know. I don't know if what I do matters or I, or what's going to happen to me if I die or um, if you know where I can get that other source of inspiration. Right. So I don't know. I feel like if you believe in God, it's kind of like in one way, it's the ultimate philosophy, which is it's respectful to that institution. It's respectful to that, um, uh, to that, that ideology, but maybe like you said, it's super personal and people have to kind of maybe think about it and feel it and decide for themselves where they fit in to this whole spectrum of, of us as an individual and the energy of the, the universe. Then I want to ask you, what is, why, why not, why not believe? Like, that's what I, I guess as I get older, that's what I'm starting to wonder is like, why, why not? We believe everything else, right? We believe in uh, dieting. We believe in philosophy. We believe in biology. We be why, <laughs> why have you chosen not to believe, uh, Stephen? I just... Just curious, curious as why it took me so long, you know, um, to, to, to recognize that this is a power, it's, it is a strength, it is the absolute liberator, um, and why do people struggle so hard to believe in something, or to read, like, you know, the good word, rather than, like, all the other stuff we read, or all the other things we believe in, because we believe in so many things so easily, and who knows if they're true, right? So I don't know. Why is it hard, Stephen, for you? Yeah, I guess you can't answer that question without getting like, hold on one second. I think that's some fire trucks. I'll also cut this shit out too. <laughs> <laughs> okay, they're almost gone. Bro, to be honest, man, like you've, you've asked a, like what seems like to be a really surface based question, but it's actually a really intense, um, difficult question to answer, but I'll be honest with you and it's, it's going to be deep, but that's okay. Like on a surface level, you could say it's cynicism and skepticism, right? It's like, Oh, how can we prove this? How can we prove that God exists? And I can't see it. So I don't know. So it's pretty easy to, to answer that from a surface level. But I think, if you look at um, if you look at it a bit deeper, and if I reflect within myself, and I look at the nature of love, my experiences with love, and what it means to be vulnerable in that type of relationship with a higher power, I look at the relationship that I had with my parents growing up. I look at my relationship with my dad. Um, I look at 
you know, sort of trauma and conflict that resulted in, you know, if you read adult attachment theory, it's a lot about, you know, people respond to trauma in different ways. And uh, one of the ways is like being, you know, if you have bad experiences with your parents, you, instead of looking for their love or, or seeking it, you become, you know, avoid it dismissive. And what does that mean is that you just become really independent and you, you just stop caring that you, you, you know, deep down, you want their love. But um, you, you, you basically, as a way of defending, you know, and protecting yourself, you just completely lock yourself off to it. And you just say, I don't want their love anymore. And you, you push yourself away. So there is some strong parallels there between uh, the relationship that I have with my father, for example, and then, you know, trusting in a God, because I feel like for me to love God, it means that I have to be vulnerable and I have to completely um, believe in that and be vulnerable in that way. And that feels really hard to do because I'm like my skeptical mind saying, well, this could all be made up stuff. And then it's like, you know, some level of, you know, that I kind of want to, but I'm kind of getting held back a little bit where I feel like, you know, it's, 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 it's that, you know, protective defense mechanism that's telling me don't uh, love something that you, you can't trust. Um, So I think that's a big part of it, man. And, but, a part of me wants to love and be in that, have that connection. And I've had these really weird spiritual moments in my life where, you know, I've been thinking about things and literally like, I've been feeling things out and I would literally have like a song would be on the radio that would just be like almost speaking to me, or I would see like a flock of sheep and I would feel like, Oh, you know, like someone looking after the, the, that would symbolize, you know, me being in the, in, in the group and, and feeling that love and connection and, and being invited to, to be a part of that. And, you know, my skeptic mind just says, you know, it's, it's me, me making that shit up, but like, you know, really strong kind of messages that I feel sometimes that kind of blow me away. Um, but at this point, I just feel like the dominating emotion that I have is just agnostic where I'm kind of like, ah, oh, could be, I'd like to, but I don't know if I can. But um, maybe I've just got some more kind of emotional, you know, emotional kind of stuff to use that word to, to process first or to completely let go before I can establish that relationship with God. Or maybe I just need to start praying and start building that connection. I don't know. I don't know. But I, yeah, that's the honest answer. I could have given you the surface level answer, but I feel like that's the, that's the holistic answer. And that, that, that makes a lot of sense. And I, and I believe me, man, I understand, like, you know, I, I ask myself, why would, like, why would this, this thing, God, whatever, allow my father to live in the same town as me, but not talk to me? I mean, it's landlocked. It's not like he was leaving on the weekends to go down to the big city and fuck hookers and drink. My dad didn't drink neither what my dad didn't drink my mom did but my dad didn't drink so why like you know how many hours of my life i spent wondering why what did i do to deserve that and so i totally understand man it's you're gonna go through hard stuff you know and uh it doesn't always seem like it's the right thing and then maybe it's not it's maybe it's not and maybe it's not for everyone you know um, but 
I don't know. I just want you to know that I feel for you. And I assure you, I've had a pretty, you know, some pretty deep wounds um, in my life. And I believe for me that this is why I've ultimately turned, you know, towards this belief. Um, you know, the world is a rough, rough sea, man, and we're on a rocky boat, you know, and it can tip at any moment. And, you know, this, this, this ability to, this philosophy or whatever, that there is this solid, unmovable, unbreakable land, island for us to get out of the sea and out of that boat and to be safe from the storms of life uh, is there. It's there, you know, and uh, I feel like that's why I've ended up on the shores, you know, of this island, this unmovable, unswampable, unsinkable, uh, fruit giving, you know, um, happiness, solace, like all of this is there. And I feel like that's why I've chosen is because, you know, I just feel so much more full, I guess, knowing, and I'm not a good, I'm not a good follower of Jesus Christ or of, of God, I'm probably one of the worst. And I would, I would argue that most religious people would not consider me to be in their fold. Right. Um, and that's okay. I don't need their approval. I only need the approval of one. Well, now more, but I, it's really, I just, if I, if I fulfill the approval of one, this one thing, which is God to me, everything else will fall into place. I, if I follow, you know, I will make the best life for my own son. So I don't need to win his approval. I've already got it right. Because, because I'm doing all the right things. He will know. I don't need to. I feel like it's so relieving, man, to like have this one teacher that I can follow that promises me that if I follow everything else will fall into place. And it will, because the rules are many. <laughs> the rules are many, and they're built to take care of not just us, but everyone we encounter for our whole entire life, right? It's meant to make the best father out of me. It is meant to make the best husband out of me. It's meant to make the best son out of me. It's meant to make the best teacher out of me, community member. Society member, brother, friend, you know, if so, that's to me why I now realize and I have access. Um, you know, I bought this new version of the Bible. It's a, it's a, it's like 1200 bucks, like $40, dude. <laughs> and I think it's the best investment I've made ever in a book by far. And there's another one I want to get. But, anyways, so I'm wondering why it took me so long, you know, like, I guess I had to, I guess I had to go through those pains and sufferings because like I told you, man, I love and respect everybody, even atheists. If you don't want to believe that's okay. That's totally fine by me. As long as you're a good human being. Okay. Um, that's it. That's really it. And then of course, what I said last week or two weeks ago, just don't try to change who I am. Okay. So you can believe what you want. That's fine. Don't try to change what I believe or who I am. I'm on my own path and I've got 
all the resources I need. I've got the endless toolbox at my fingertips. And that's where I choose to get my wisdom. Do I want to have discussions with other people? Absolutely. Yes. And I want to be the best listener I can. Um, but please, to anybody, don't try to change other people's beliefs or opinions. If for any reason you're concerned, just be a model. And how do you be a model? By doing what you consider to be the best. And that's all you can do. That's all we can do. So really, that's it, man. I respect everybody. I love everybody. I wish them well. Do I think that a little bit of God love can help people? Yes, I do. In fact, I know for a fact it worked for me, so it can work for other people, but doesn't mean you have to take my advice. And if, if that leads to unhappiness, don't follow me. Do not. I'm not a leader. I'm not anything special. I just am me. And I want you to be you. Uh, but yeah, man, like, like I said, the, 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 the island, right? In the stormy sea, the unsinkable, unmovable, unsunamiable uh, island is so peaceful, man. So peaceful. And it provides safety, security, stability, um, and even love, you know? Like, I really, truly feel like this, this thing loves and cares about me and you and everybody else. And that's a good feeling. My dad maybe disappeared, maybe broke my heart. Maybe my mother was part of that. Do, was I angry? I was angry for a long time, man. And that's part of the reason why I curse God all the time, right? Need to blame someone. Didn't want to blame my parents too much. Then I started to blame my parents. But what did this do? It just made it worse. Just made everything worse. Now I forgive them unconditionally. And I know that they probably went through some hard shit. And it's not their fault. It's just they were conditioned. And this is the tools. These are the things. This is that absolute liberation from wanting answers, from demanding other people's love. I don't need it. I got the ultimate love, man. And you know what? I don't care if it's all fake. I don't give a shit. I believe. Why? Because I know it works. It's the best story ever told. And that's all life is, a series of stories. Oh, my parents treated me bad. That's a story. Oh, the war in Russia and Ukraine. That's a story. COVID-19. Oh, that's a story. Get a job. Get an education. That's a story. Sociology, history. That's a story. I just found my favorite story. And it takes a lot of work. So I got to invest time somewhere. Yeah. And I think when you understand that we all, every ideology is a story and it maybe is somewhat flawed at some degree, but we, we, we take the risk and we're a little bit vulnerable and we invest into it. Then, you know, I think that's part of being human as well. You know, like this is what I believe because that's right for me. And I know that it could be, it could be um, ridiculous or, but at the same time, I have faith that it's not. Uh, and it's just, it's what I need to buy in because it best reflects who I am and my experiences with the world and how I want to deal with this world. Then I think if you've done that, then there's no more than, than you know, you can't ask for more of yourself than that. I think, John, I think we're almost about time. Is there anything else that you want to bring to the table before we wrap up? Uh. No, man, that just, no, not really. Just that, um, you know, that I'm, again, I'm, I'm really glad to have these conversations. I feel enlightened and uh, I feel very um, grateful to have, you know, 
discussions with you on the regular, you know, about all sorts of topics, you know. I mean, we might not always agree, but the cool thing about our relationship is that we accept that and we still remain friends no matter what. And uh, yeah, man, just that I want, you know, peace and happiness for you, myself and everybody else on this planet. That's really it. Yeah. Well, thank you. And I guess it's just, it's just a bit of, um, bit of respect. Everybody's got a different hermeneutic circle, a reality, ideology, you know, and it's just, it's just respecting that everybody's different and, but there's always something to learn, you know, like I'm one of those people that I, I love hearing advice from people. Cause if you're going to take the time, to do that, that means that that's worthwhile to me. And I value that. So it, I think it's great to hear different people's ideas. And hopefully one day when these uh, podcasts hit the air, you know, people, you know, people would maybe get this far out and, uh, you know, gain a little bit of win- wisdom and insight from that's what drives me to, to record as well, that we can, put out some good ideas and perhaps inspire some people as we go, because I think inspiration is, is very powerful. So John answer, help people answer questions would be nice too, right? Like give them a piece, something to nibble on that might, I don't know, help them solve their own problems or, you know, just give them something to chew on something to uh, maybe lead them to their own truth. And that's what it all boils down to is finding your own truth and knowing that your truth is the truth, um, just don't hurt other people. <laughs> yeah, good, good last words, man. Yeah, to reflect. John, thanks for sharing this conversation with me, man. I really appreciate it. Absolutely, man. Anytime. Goodbye. Goodbye. The Examine Life podcast, discussing society, culture, philosophy to entertain ourselves and perhaps others.